0: Tune into this as well as many other awesome episodes only available on Patreon. Hey,
1: why don't you rub your cock up against the phone? Let me see what kind of noise it makes. i can not going to do that. Just do it. It's a big deal.
2: Are you gay?
1: Which Howard are you talking
2: to? The one who asked that question.
1: Oh, no. I'm just trying to be entertaining. That's all. Mm-hmm. I'm not gay. <laughs> Am I gay? Of course not. I have a wife.
0: <laughs> a lot of gay men have won. Yeah,
1: but come on. You know man, <laughs> yeah. You know I'm not gay. I'm just asking the guy how big his cock is.
3: Well, you're
0: asking him to rub it up against the phone.
3: And all you do is move of people. You do nothing. That's, you're a big homo.
4: That's not entirely true.
5: What do you do?
3: Really? Not I'm
4: bisexual, and I don't boot off everybody.
1: People are going to be shocked that you put out an exercise and diet book because they don't think of you that way, right? right they think right. about you. That, well, but, not... but, but here you are today. with it's, Is the book out now? Yep, Formula 50. Is there a bunch of pictures of you with your shirt off so we no, can no, see no, no, your no. muscularity? Well, no, what, I didn't what, take myself I We've got to have an example. I,
2: I no, want to no, see your no, no, muscularity. No. This is not
1: about... <laughs> Uh, this is not the Chippendale show, Robert. Are you what's very... risky? If, if you took off your clothes now, you were totally nude. Would I see a man who is in the prime condition of the You have to have love? him totally nude Yeah. Say, yeah. Look, Would I'm you say mind it, being totally nude right you. now? Yeah, I'm not taking my clothes off. <laughs> please. <laughs> I was trying to give me a strip in here. Yeah, Please, if you and have mine... I'm Take off your clothes off. Take off your shirt. Let you. me see I'm what's going on. I'm not doing. taking
2: my shirt off. I want to see I if you got titties on that. That's
1: how i watch the show, show, saw You had the porn stars up there. Yeah. And, and y'all, I had the girls in here stripping and stuff like that. I'm like, me? You want bring me here? Yeah, me, yeah. me a porn I want party. you nude right now. You got to be kidding me. <laughs> Come on, man. I'm doing way too good for this kind of shit, out. Look at you. Look at your ass. You're, you're so muscular. muscular. Yeah. Do you have muscles? muscle Do you have muscles in your ass that you'd like to show? I'm not doing this in they a gay, gay way. I just want to, you know, <laughs> I just want to see if you're fat. I just want to see. It's not gay. Um, no, <laughs> out, man. Show your balls. The tip of your penis was over nine inches. No, right at the nine. nine inches yeah is that that's how did you making me feel good man that's because I mean, when you watch porno those dudes is like a foot nine is perfect oh all right
5: well uh,
2: maybe that's well, what that's the secret perfect. Oh, that's, yeah. wait hold on robin you <laughs> is, is nine perfect robin perfect. what does howard mean by that you know
1: exactly <laughs> what i mean <laughs> my daughter's uh, 15 all her friends are, like consumed with who's gay and it was that, yeah that's like a big thing. thing yeah right they think i'm gay
5: <laughs> <laughs>
1: everyone's Thanks.
0: gay welcome ladies and gentlemen to qf a podcast about howard stern i'm jim fix your host aka Philmore more fingers with me once again is sam our sam and ben how are you guys doing today ben
4: great glad to be back good to see you guys again
0: it's it's great to have you back, Sam. How are you feeling? We only recorded two days ago, and that was a slog.
6: Uh we we've been on a recording frenzy uh, mania. Like, just I feel like every other day we're doing this now, pretty much. Um, I'm doing great, and I'm love when Ben's on. It's one of my favorite recording <laughs> sessions, so I'm so happy. Thank
0: we're you. just wondering. I'm wondering actually, offhand, Ben, did you uh work, What we just covered was the Vice TV Dark Side of Comedy episode with Artie in it. Uh, did you? Oh bother watching any I didn't of that.
4: Catch that. No, I didn't even know about it.
0: Yeah, I'll send you the link so you can watch it stream. I mean, I don't know if you have a Vice TV thing, but uh, it's hit and miss the series, but the Artie episode's actually quite good because they got mad TV cast members of the time to discuss, And also some that had nothing to do with Artie um, Discuss him They got Tim Savian and Doug Goodstein And there was one little bit of, of a revelation uh, Halfway through where I've never heard it It was never on the air It was, was never uh, 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 Whether when he was on Stern or later and, uh, But it was so dark To go through Because it's, it's hence, hence the, the title Of the series, The Dark Side of Comedy mm-hmm. But um, they did a really good job On Artie's episode I think
6: Yeah, you got to check it out. The Mad TV people, the difference between the way they handled things versus the Stern show is so palpable. You just like feel, wow, this Mm. is a different cast of people who actually care.
4: Oh, yeah. Did they go through that, too, with Bobby Lee at Mad TV? I think he uh, had yeah, some addiction he, problems, and so they probably mentions, were. He
0: mentions that okay. actually, because and they had they consulted Bobby Lee, and, I know, mean, who didn't really know Artie until way later. Mm-hmm. Bobby's much, a generation or two younger, yeah. and uh, but he 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 had his own problems. You're right. That's probably why they went and approached oh. him about it.
6: I wish I wish that ended his career.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not a Bobby Lee fan. I can't understand it. We we said that in the episode too. At any rate, guys, if you guys are following along with the bouncing uh, ball, whatever bouncing virtual ball, we are on in the hardcover. We're on page fifty. If you recall, in the last episode, we were discussing uh, at length and playing audio of well-met looking Howard Hare talking about Fred and how he thought he was a little homo and then it, it was actually the opposite and he was grooming him in a hotel room so we're getting we didn't get a chance to get into the audio about Fred and that's what we're gonna do now so here's the first clip
1: I mean, Fred's just a great talent. You know, Fred, I found him. He was in college. He was the overnight guy. And he was a college student who I still to this day don't know how he functioned because he went to college all day. And then he did overnights, which is the shittiest shift in radio. You're talking about midnight to six, I think he did back then. So I came on at 6 a.m
6: most college kids have jobs. I mean, kids whose parents don't pay for their education and they have to support themselves. Hello, pretty much I'm sure a lot of people, a lot of our listeners or me or you, you know, you have jobs.
4: Uh, Yeah, I would say you function just like other people who do the graveyard shift where you wake up early, go to work, then go to school, then go to bed.
0: I keep laughing because when I look back at some of the, the notes, Howard was given a gas card. So not only was did oh, Ben give him, yes. he, Not only did Ben buy him his car, he and pay for his tuition. He didn't even have to pay for gas. Uh,
4: and funny, keep that in mind when Howard's uh, big thing is to hell with Shell because he's protesting the gas lines. Yeah, he doesn't. He's not even worried about gas prices. He's got this his old man's credit card.
6: <laughs> that I'm not, he he said it's like a company card, but the company's your parents. Yeah, That's yeah. So he's bad. probably
4: charging snacks. Yeah. Yeah.
6: Man, I did I did cocktail waitressing for Christ's sake. I mean I was up too.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know anybody. Uh, well, I do know people, but they were well, they were extremely international students. For example, they weren't working when I was in university. But my God, everybody else had a job. If they could get one that just to me, you know, realistically uh, while they were
1: undergrads. And he was there and he'd hang out. And once in a while, he'd help me. He'd do a voice. And that was like heaven to me. That was kind of getting like King Schmaltz. I had a voice guy. He... <laughs> and start. so it begins. Howard starts exploiting free workers. <laughs>
4: Yeah and we we've covered King Schmaltz what voice guy they they, they yeah. were pretty crappy
0: yeah and you know what um uh, it was it was another billy west uh episode and that was when you when you a video involving billy west and and fred and they were passing the ball around with jackie and it's never more apparent than when you watch one of those videos to see who's the weak link in this beyond beyond howard after howard it's fred Jackie wasn't doing voices, but he was, you know, compared to Billy West, it's such a poor comparison. It's like driving up, your driving your little Chevy next to a BMW and you just see every single aspect of what's wrong about this comparison. I know.
6: He wasn't. And then, of course, it's he's obviously not being compensated that much in the beginning. And he acts like this King Schmaltz thing, by the way. I hate how we played it. I was shocked at how bad it was. Remember, my mouth was open like the whole episode. Of course,
4: (laughs) Right. And Howard's Uh, barely in it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It was a guy to replace Bruce in in a sense. And Fred was really good at it. He was talented, quick on his feet. I was doing the overnights. I was also going to school at the time.
3: He was the new morning man that came in and uh, he was just crazy and wild. And during, like, the crossovers, we would just, like, talk about things that, you know, we'd seen on television or movies or whatnot. And I started doing some crazy voices like Richard Nixon or whatever. And he says, no, no, stick around. Stick around. I'm going to go on the air in about five minutes. You can be Richard Nixon, and I'm going to talk to you as Richard Nixon. Or I'm going to talk to you as, uh, you know, Henry Kissinger or as Muhammad Ali or Howard Cosell. So that's where our association started during those five-minute, 20-minute crossovers from, I was...
6: When did you hear Fred do all these variety of voices well? I mean, just think about all those voices he just listed. There is no way that that was good.
0: Unbelievable. They were always pretty hacky, but the only only impressions I can recall where I actually enjoyed it so-so were when he would imitate Jim Florentine, which he had pretty down. Mm-hmm. I mean yeah. I mean if we have to be realistic about it yeah. but other other than that when he would do uh, Nicole Bass I never laughed never. never um when he would do the Ronnie voice certainly more recently it was it was the worst impression I I mean you're Sam Mia could do a better Ronnie impression
6: It was yeah. okay it was overplayed
0: Yeah
4: Fred imposes things on his imp- on his impressions that aren't there like when he does Bobo yeah. and he'll go uh, wary. That's not how Bobo talks. Yeah. Bobo says R instead of V. So he'll say Rary, not wary. That's mm-hmm. Elmer Fudd. And <laughs> then he'll go do the same thing with Ronnie and yell, have him yelling out the C word constantly, which Ronnie does not do. No. Um, you know, Fred, Fred embraces that because he's an angry person who, um, you know, uses volume as comedy, basically. So if I'm loud, that means I'm being funny. Mm -hmm. Um, but no, I've never, I, I have laughed at his sound effects over the years, not, not in recent years ever, mm -hmm. but, uh, there was a time, but that was only, uh, as part of the, you know, tapestry of sound. So you got everybody firing at once and Fred's just helping it along, but not Fred on his own. No.
6: Right. I think I can equate it to the Alec Baldwin Trump impression where it's not, Trump like it sounds kind of like Trump, but he's missing the ball of uh, the, the the other Trump impressionist now on SNL is way better. Mm-hmm. The guy who, you know, goes into the, the satirical, ironic, the cadence. And that's more, I think, believable and how Trump actually is versus, you know, these subconscious thoughts that just keep trailing on and on and on yeah. and on. That's funny. Well, Bald you take would it into just the seem stern... like an angry person doing it it's not funny
4: yeah and then in the stern world if you look at say sour shoes he's got the material as well as he sounds just like the person most of the time but a the lot, material the time, is yeah. what you just go wow I mean the material whatever he's missing on the impression he more than makes up for in the material itself which is the really hard part to do yeah um, and so anyway you compare a talent like that which Howard Only recognized because he was forced to, basically, because everyone kept telling him until finally Jimmy Kimmel told him, Sour Shoes is a genius. You're on America's Got Talent and you can't judge that this guy is is great. And then Colin Quinn had to point it out to him, but he didn't recognize it right in front of his own face. I know. Well, well he ha- Howard doesn't have the
0: ear or the uh, the eye for comedy. He just doesn't. No. And uh, it's it's it used to infuriate me for years when people would call him a stand-up or they would call refer to him as a comedian anyway. And he, you know, you're not even getting the term right. He's not. He's nothing close to comedy. Uh, he's no nothing close to a comedian in any stretch of the word. Because the other thing is the key word is a stand-up comic. Who does when does ever when does Howard ever stand alone? Even when he goes to do these appearances, he depends on, you know a boatload of people back home and a prearranged story that he claims is off the cuff, but has been planned to the down to the last dot, dot the last I and the last T. So, you know, Mr. Improv couldn't improv as Johnny Carson family said about Chevy chase. Couldn't ad lib a fart at a baked bean dinner. (laughs) So good. Yeah.
6: So I, I would rather right now, the Stern show is so bad. I, if they just played sour shoes, voicemails all day, I'd be happier.
0: Oh, be fantastic and and guys you guys you won't a lot of you won't know but now i'll tell you ben if you don't mind me saying he ben has yeah. uh canceled his series subscription and he's no longer a regular listener
4: Ooh. yeah it happened on uh wednesday uh, you know when he came back from vacation because i'm no longer tweeting live yeah. tweeting no longer yeah. doing me commenting commenting i would uh Start listening to the show maybe 20 minutes after it starts so I could build up some time and actually just skip altogether things I don't want to hear rather than listen mm-hmm. to it live. Mm-hmm. And I was finding that when I got to the point where I could no longer skip, I just said, I'm not doing this and and would leave. And, you know, I was only listening at this point uh, to maybe the first third of the show and that's it. Yeah. And in that time, and that's normally what I would listen to where I could usually find the stuff I'm looking for, because that's where he's um, not doing bits usual. I mean, he does occasionally. But anyway, that's where I was most likely to find the stuff that was important to me. Mm-hmm. And in, you know, in, in hearing only one third of each show, I heard the story of his mother's television six times, probably. Oh, yeah. And it's just the idea, you know, I've I've been saying for a while now that he uses the airwaves to reimburse himself for out of pocket expenses. (laughs) So if you hear a story from his personal life, he's telling you for the reason that he wants to be given credit for something. So if he's telling you about uh, renting a boxing match, it's because he wants to be reimbursed. So he's selling serious. Here's some content. Me talking about this. And now it's I well, I paid for a TV for my mom and I paid my guys to install it. Sirius is going to pay me to talk about that and I was listening the other day and I don't know if this was really the incident but he was talking about this bunny that they now have at their house and the great expense of taking care of a bunny (laughs) Uh, and how (laughs) you have to get it um, fixed and that costs a lot of money and he adds and it cost me a lot of money and I went you mean I've been hearing this bunny story for the last 10 minutes because you want to be reimbursed for the bunny toys and bunny surgery. And I don't – I think I was listening to J, J.D. talk about baseball cards and I go, I don't care about out. any of this anymore. And I just felt like I – I'll continue to talk to you guys about it. But uh, I feel like I've just drained this guy of everything that could be yeah. useful to me at this point. Um,
6: you're right, though. He and then, you just, know what?
4: It might have taken this, too. Hearing him discuss the death of a parent finally, where yeah. I go, all right, that's the best I can hope for. He scoffs at the death death of his father yeah. because yeah. he replaced his parents with his therapist long ago. So these people are just um, financial burdens to him at this point.
0: Well, if uh, – <laughs> sorry, Sam. Don't mean to cut you off. Um, Bob and I covered – uh, Chicago Bob, one of our contributors, we con- we did a breakdown because Raven is, is quite busy for the next little while. So she's been clipping. But I clipped this up, that particular episode. And at one point he just says, yeah, I don't know. And, it you know, <laughs> I said, this is where, you know, this is where you feel the depths of grief and pain, ladies and gentlemen. And it meant nothing. And we, we did three hours and we managed to get some laughs out of it. But Bob was affected by it. it. It was so dark and depressing. And Raven couldn't. She said, it's best, maybe best for someone else to handle this with you because I will get too sad. Because She'll be thinking of her own dad. And because, oh, again, oh, okay. again, another time, another time. Um talking about his dad as being a dementia patient in the hospital and insulting him. I got upset. I started crying when I was cutting yeah. the clips and I started crying wow. when we recorded. That's how affecting it was because I just wow. and I because I couldn't imagine saying that to my father. But yeah. I, I, I or about him.
6: I I think too like I felt that way about the Artie situation with drugs and just because I've dealt with it in my own life and you know lost somebody to an overdose and it's like I can't It was frustrating and angry and you're right. Ben's right. Everything that he does now, that's why he doesn't leave his house because he feels like that's an inconvenience and that's my time and I want to do whatever I want to do in my time. And if I have to do anything else for anybody else, you bet your ass I'm going to complain about it on the radio. So I'm getting paid essentially for the shit that I'm not doing. on my. You
4: want to hear how far I think it goes? He yeah. doesn't like that he has to pay for art supplies. So he goes on the air and talks about painting so that Sirius <laughs> pays for those art supplies. It's so, I mean, individually, everything – he's just selling everything to – I mean, there's so much more interesting stuff, I'm sure, that goes on in his life. But uh, he, you know, he wants to be reimbursed. I mean, to think that while talking about his dad's death, he gave a shout-out to the marketing guy at Nathan's Hot Dogs. Not just, not just Nathan's Nate Because he's thanking
2: him for, $50 for the hot
4: dog.
6: No, he, it was he Dan's papers his, too. Yes. No, 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 yeah, I know barn. that that too. Yeah, that too. He called it, it like the old barn reminded him of his father. What?
0: Right. Yeah, that, but he also uh, plugged, artist he, 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 he plugged the funeral home three times. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I said, Yes. said, This is Every no This plug. is Steven Singer. This is no different. Yes. That was
6: unbelievable to me. I can't even tell you the funeral homes I've been to for family members. Like, I would not. What are you doing? Like, how does that even cross your head?
4: It is, it is weird. I mean, I I assume it's because he's trying (laughs) to get some kind of, you know, how about if I pay you in plugs? That was
0: exactly what was going through my mind. I said, and I said, Bob, anytime you hear a name, uh, because he said, oh, you know what? I got to, I got to thank the, uh, I got to (laughs) thank the hospice staff.
7: And, and I Clock stopped. And I said,
0: but I'm not going to. <laughs> and He never does. He doesn't name them. <laughs> the guy who played clarinet for his old man, a volunteer. You know, I wish I would have got this name. And Bob was like, this guy's this clarinet player's name would have been seared into my brain.
6: Uh, you know what, too, is his daughter visited a lot. I think the one, especially Ashley. Ashley
0: was a nurse. Yeah. yeah.
6: So but she was I'm sure it's because she loves her grandparents. But a yeah. part of me thought this cheap fuck just probably didn't (laughs) want to pay a regular nurse to come and help with his parents. So he probably paid his kid to go over there. Oh, we did. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, there's no way that he didn't pay for a nurse. And then I'm thinking, Oh wait, isn't she a nurse? And then I dawned on me. That's probably why she's over there all the time.
4: Oh yeah. He can't deal with that. Yeah. And, And, and why we're hearing about the, um, the the foods that his mom eats that he yes. orders for, I mean, it's all like, well, I paid for it. So I'm going to talk about it on the air. Yes. I, I mean, Cream. it's, um, you just though, I go, I don't want to, uh, enable this. I mean, you know, and I wasn't yeah. petty about it whenever I quit, uh, my, you know, they ask you questions about why you're yeah. leaving and I, I didn't get petty about it or anything because I quit the automated way where you just do the chat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um. But uh you know I still will follow if there's something that's worthy that gets on the news or something like that of course I'll follow. By the way um Adam Corolla mentioned that uh history channel I think is doing uh, a special on Howard Stern. Did you guys know about um, this? I
0: yeah. didn't know about that. I just knew about the Robin one that, that some was that the rebels in in the in the the business uh. or whatever and she was there was they were getting someone to play her as one of those uh, reenactments and to, to discuss. Well, I, you know, I don't I, remember I, I when that Lizzo, happened or that's, if that's happened.
4: Lizzo I, is too big uh, a star, but I would recommend Lizzo to play Robin.
6: Oh, that'd what, be. What awesome. you gonna say, <laughs> twerking with that flute, fucking yeah, <laughs> that'd be so embarrassing. Um, so he Howard, uh, what's his face, Jimmy Kimmel, and um. Joe Buck, we're doing Monday night football hosting on the NFL. And when it was about to end, he said, when are you getting Howard out of the basement? Are you going to see him? Are you going to get him out of the basement? You know, is he ever going to come back to studio, basically? And you yeah. think Howard would be offended because Joe Buck's kind of making fun of what a Howard Hughes like figure he is. But instead, Howard was going out about how much do you think that that plug was worth on Monday night football? A lot of people got to be listening uh-huh. to that. I mean, he was so Thrilled to be mentioned on Monday Night Football.
0: <laughs> right, because somebody had didn't tell him he's supposed to be offended by it.
6: Yeah, nobody. He was, like, happy.
0: Right. That's the narcissism, man. That's that's exactly what is supply. Any attention is good attention until a point, however, someone mentioned on the thr- one of the threads that he had turned off his Google alerts, which was news to me. And the only reason to do that is because you couldn't take the barrage of negativity uh, coming at you with Google. That, you
4: that, either that or it's so dry, tumbleweeds going yeah. by that you go, you know what? Yeah. I'll turn it off and let myself think I'm getting alerted like crazy. I'm just not seeing it. Yeah.
6: Yeah. It's the alerts like, oh, wait, that alerts for the blast. I paid for that one. Chip. <laughs>
0: Well, it could be the equivalent of uh, a dry reservoir and not visiting it for another couple of weeks to see if the water's built up and maybe there's nothing there.
3: Anyway, let's continue with uh, Mr. Nucas. Exhausted. I wanted to go home. He was coming on in the
1: air. He needed things to do. It was unusual because Fred really, I mean, I always say this, but, and maybe it's my fault too because I really don't have much social grace. Anybody who works with me knows I, I can't carry on a two minute conversation with people off the air. I don't know. I'm just too self absorbed. But for some reason, Fred and I never really spent a lot of time talking. Even back then, I don't think we ever had a discussion about how we were going to conduct our professional lives on the air. We interacted with each other on the air and I'd say, see you, man. And you go, OK, see ya." And to this,
6: I. But that's everybody. That He just said, you know, I can't conduct more than a two-minute conversation because I'm too self-absorbed. Yeah, that's everybody. The relationship with Fred is every relationship you have. Yeah. That's par for the course. Yeah.
0: He- he also doesn't have an attention span. And that's, again, part of the narcissism. They can't focus. That's why he would dabble in guitar, dabble in piano, according to him in this Ben Stern eulogy, dabbled in clarinet. I couldn't stop laughing. He's, my, said, my father said he paid $200 for clarinet. I did the math. If you, go, if you add up inflation over the years, that was about the equivalent of two grand in 1965,
6: wow. that clarinet. Wow. Right.
0: Wow but he suffered man you know he, he was you know he was he was a have not um uh. so so it's just it's unbelievable <laughs> the, it, you you think at some point again if you, unless you if you study the psychology of it all which we've done a whole series on um you think at some point if he's this bad now was he much less worse like was he less Uh, self-absorbed as a let's say a 20 something year old and the answer is no he's always been this bad so what in god's name would he have been like as a nine and ten year old well i guess the shut up sit down clip explains that yeah yeah
6: Yeah. i also i think too when he says i can't have a two-minute conversation with somebody off the air but then you brand yourself as the world's best interviewer. And here's a book (laughs) of all these. You're not interested in anything. You just said that. So how can you be a good interviewer if you're not curious?
4: Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's more than just not curious, but also I think he's um, nervous and awkward and saying I'm self-involved is his cool therapy approach. In the end, it still makes him look cool in a way like, Oh wow. Cause you know, the movie, so a, a journalist hears that and goes, wow, how in touch you are with yourself. Yeah, really, right. if you were to say, I'm awkward, I'm not very bright, um, I'm s- constantly uh, w- wondering if they're looking at my hair, you know, you and so focus. on. I, I, it's very difficult to keep up this fake voice that I put on, you know, and I have to jut <laughs> my jaw out. It's a lot of work to look like this character I've created. So I'd just rather not do it.
1: Yeah, Absolutely day, I don't think we had much discussion. There were a couple of years in there where we had more contact, where we traveled travel back and forth to work together, Fred would stay over my house sometimes, but there was never any real discussion about how to conduct this radio show. We didn't sit down and mastermind this thing. I knew what I had to do, and Fred just seemed to know what to do. If Fred didn't know what to do, I couldn't have worked with him. So, this is also, it goes to show you, he never pre planned anything.
0: It was always by the seat of his pants, just like just about any talk, not talk show appearance. But when it came to work, how many times have we heard, uh, I don't know, we, we didn't have a research department. We'd five minutes before a, a guest came in, we'd talk to each other and say, What do we know about Richard Lewis? What's been happening? And Gary would come <laughs> in and offer his two cents. That's your research department, Baba Booey. Sam?
6: But yet he's always saying, you know, I think about I live and breathe the show. I think about it when I get out. I'm constantly (laughs) thinking. I'm a workaholic. But, you know, (laughs) in a way, though, it was better now that the getting things done crap happened. And that's the prep work. It's actually made the show worse. The spontaneity of the show was kind of what made it better than what we're getting now. Yeah.
4: It's never it's never more obvious than when he has a return visitor on, oh, yeah. or say like a whack packer, and he's talking to Beetlejuice as though they've just now met for the first time. It's got to yeah. be so because I I remember being stunned when I heard him post getting things done interview Beetlejuice, mm-hmm. and it's just like you you know each other. What are you doing? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think Gilbert he gave him the same treatment. Um, but anyway, yeah, he now that he's got I mean that safety net of things to read with John Hine having coached him all the way through it, things yep. to to read, here's interesting tidbits. He's like, you know, the the rehearsed that's another thing too, the rehearsed that they hit on that he's so rehearsed now thanks to therapy, thanks to having conducted so many interviews where he talks about himself mm-hmm. that for somebody like me who's looking for cracks in the armor, you really have to just go and spend the entire show looking and maybe find nothing because he is so rehearsed and, know. you know, whatever torture that he shares with you, it's like, this is my polished torture. Um, yeah. it's not a real torture. So, uh, if you're looking for the kind of cracks, like I said, that I'm looking for, it's, it's not worth the hunt sometimes. I mean, I'll, I'll still I'll listen to your summaries of the shows, I think going forward. He- uh, when he comes back
0: from vacation, Sirius will ID tag that show, and because Ben, it was a Ben Stern thing, he was gonna a eulogy, he was gonna so, so-called eulogy, he was going to get, deliver. They were going to ID tag that, so there's no point putting it on like mm. YouTube because they'll they'll mm. shut it down. Uh, but then when he has a guest in that's fairly high profile. That's another one. But when it's cleaning out the computer, Sirius doesn't seem to give a shit about that for the most part. Or Wilding's <laughs> talking about some vacation he have, Usually they don't care about that content. But a music, a musical guest, absolutely that will be pre-recorded and ID-tagged. So hence, a lot of the reason why we had to go behind a paywall because uh, otherwise, either we have to edit that out or completely p- it. eliminate it. And I said, screw it. I want people to hear these things as we recorded them and edited them yep. and presented them. Sam.
6: He reminds me of now a politician reading a teleprompter. Like a lot of what I see now in politics when people are giving speeches or whatever, not even speeches, sometimes they, it looks like they're reading teleprompters just to have a meeting with people, and the press is in the room. It's like, you're reading off of something. I can tell, like, this is incredibly, yeah. it's so rehearsed that it's unbelievable. You can't have one free moment. And if you do, it's obviously a gaffe. And then that gaffe goes viral. I think Howard is a lot of the same way. It's a yeah. teleprompter all day. Well,
4: there's a, Yeah, there's a reason why the comedy writers have decided when, when Howard's talking to a puppet, Howard is the straight man. So Howard just reads from his paper and go, that's outrageous. Oh, so I hear you went to this. And it's the driest, dumbest thing, but Howard's the straight man for the Donald Trump impersonator or whomever to bounce off of yeah. and show off because he's the perfect straight man. He's not bright, he's not witty, <laughs> and um and, and then he won't he, step he in it, simple by sentences.
6: it. Yeah, and then he won't yeah. step in it by saying anything that might yeah. that we're looking for.
0: This is you guys want examples that everybody listening. If you want examples of Howard going off the cuff. Well, first of all, let's say uh, Roger Daltrey coming in and saying, yeah. where are the jokes? and He say, well, show me yeah. your cock. That's Howard <laughs> not reading anything. That's the first thing <laughs> yeah. that comes to his mind. Um, I'm, try- I'm also like when uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers were just in not long ago. And when the questions, <laughs> when they started mocking him and he didn't, he was too stupid to realize they were mocking his questions at one point. He's a uh, play that bass. Ooh, wow, what is that? What's that sound? What do you use? That's him off the cuff. Okay, Fred didn't know what to do.
3: I couldn't have worked with him. He'd call me up. I'd be sleeping or something like that, you know, drinking too much beer at college. You know, that's what you do at college. You drink. You don't really study. Uh, He'd call me up and say, quick, in five seconds, you got to be Muhammad Ali. Uh, Call me up and go, quick, in five seconds, you have to be Howard Cosell. Be Richard Nixon, you know, be pissed off about something. It was like, and it was always like, you know, you got a uh, 30-second, it's like Mad Libs, or it's like, you know, like whose line is it anyway? Okay, you're in a bar. You're Richard Nixon. You're pissed off about, you know, Betty Ford. Uh, now go. Oh, how the fuck am I going to, you know, so you spend like 30 seconds waking up, maybe 30 seconds actually coming up with something that's funny, and 30 seconds saying goodbye. Lovely. <laughs> thanks for thanks for sharing us
0: your
4: process. Now, what's your there's favorite thing? <laughs> there's a reason why they're not playing any of those clips.
6: I thought I was going to say. Playing. I, I was like, there's explaining this complicated process. Well, according to Fred, this hard task. Well, you guys have the audio, so play it if it's so amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah. And uh, so uh, the next clip is called Fred. Fred and you have to know your Jack Benny to get with this one. Fred is the resident Rochester.
3: Well, a lot of people seem to uh, be struck by something that was in one of Howard's books about, he helped me with my records, meaning Howard was uh, doing his six to ten or whenever he sh- decided to shut up, much like today, radio show. Uh, back then, it was Monday through Saturday. You had the lucky uh, distinction of doing a four-hour shift five days a week, and then Having to do a six-hour shift on Saturday, which is – that's pretty much like South African diamond mining where they're, they're sending you down. As no, like 26 on. hours well, of work.
0: That's nothing. What is he talking about? So a guy that's doing college and commuting, whatever, and then having to do a sh- uh, like a, an evening shift is cleaning up after a guy who is only working part-time and not doing anything. He's finished school.
4: Right. Yeah, so wait, if he's doing six four hour shifts, that's twenty four plus six on Sunday, that's thirty. Thirty. That's That's still that's not a full time job. I mean, that might be just on the nose of part time uh, full time. Yeah.
6: Yeah, that is not a full time job.
0: So King Baby, and he writes about it in, I believe, private parts with his big OCD thing, which I don't want to bring up. I don't want to go into it. It's a whole other book. Yeah. But he does write yeah. about saying, you know, oh, I couldn't, you know, if I started trying to clean it up, it would take me four hours, which was just complete bullshit. He was a lazy prick. Yeah, exactly. That's all it was. He's had people pick up after him his entire life for everything. He's never Why, not would had that it. would that be any different? Yeah. Exactly. Sam?
6: We also have to say this is 30 hours of like sitting down or just cleaning up in one little area. It's not like you're dealing with the public. Like you're not a waitress. You're not a bartender where it's physical and you're on your feet and you're go, go, go. Mm-hmm. This isn't like a taxing job necessarily. And physically. he wasn't
4: doing, he wasn't doing live calls on the air. That wasn't, a, that wasn't popular at this point. Um oh. and, you know, so if he did talk to a caller, um, it would have been recorded during a song and then clipped and then played in between. Yep. And, you know, he was doing little bits here and there, but um, it's not like the the ratio now where he's doing as much talking as he is and playing very little music. Oh, yeah.
6: Did, did they do crank calls back then? And then when did that switch where you had to announce that it was, you know how they can't do crank calls anymore? Because they, they have Howard to did. announce that they're on the air or something. Howard Heather, never did. It, okay. Yeah, I was wondering he, if Fred did.
0: No, the, the 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 closest they got to any of that was still was not. It was all just co- supposedly parts for the uh, Fifty Ways to Rank Your Mother, the uh, or Unclean Beaver, as they released it later on. Uh, that stupid album of his where he's how weird Stern and he's dressed up in leather mm-hmm. and looks like looks like Eugene Levy in the Gay Store and in uh, Gay Shop, and, uh, armed and dangerous. <laughs> um, and so he. Uh, like, but that's not. A, those aren't crank calls. Those are just right. pre-planned, pre-pre-recorded re- bits. So um, there was. You're right. There's a time where, Let's like switch. the tradio calls had to be. They had to announce that they were fake.
4: Well, tradio, you can do because you're calling into a public show. I mean, you're you're, yeah. you're, call, you're calling into a show that is broadcasting. So yeah. there's an expectation to be recorded. Yeah. But uh, uh, it has to do with consent of two-party consent, where both people are. And I don't. I would have looked this up if if I had known this was coming. But in any in any case, you know, like crank actors can get away with it because in Nevada, where they record that, only one party has to be aware that there's that's recording right. going on.
0: Yeah, uh, I think I think Florentine said that there were only two states at that uh, one point left where you could do it that way. Nevada was one, and maybe New Jersey or New York. I can't I, remember. I think that does
4: sound right. Yeah, it might be New Jersey. Yeah, and that makes sense um, because he's from Jersey. Um, right. And then whenever whenever they call somebody who's not a public doing a public broadcast or podcast or whatever. They always have to call them back and get permission from that person before they can air
3: it. Release it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. He's like Blood radio. If there is such a thing. And uh, back then, Howard didn't have a support staff. He had no Gary. He had no Robin. He had no Artie. He had no me. Well, he kind of had me, but I was like working the overnights and going to college at the same time. Anyway, I'd go maybe go next door after doing my air shift and also stick around and maybe do some voices while Howard was doing his show. And I come back in the room and the place is a fucking mess. And I could see that he was kind of like busy, you know, taping his phone calls. There was no such thing as delay or anything like that. You had to tape all your calls. It was on a reel-to-reel and you had to switch switches. It's like, it's not like now, you know, like you, you have an engineer to do all that shit for you or we do it live and we have a delay. It's like Howard was basically, you know, he was the, basically the chef, the maitre d', the waitress, the guy who loaded the dishwasher,
0: the guy who swept up, I mean, now here's the thing, Fred. You idiot! If he really wanted to be in this business and that was what the business required at that time, and you don't have, and that's, and you're starting out, then that's what's necessary. You do it, and you don't complain about it. And you certainly don't enlist uh, an indentured servant to help you yeah. with it, you know, and, and, and you
4: know, and pay him, and, and not pay him and, a dime for helping. And this again shows Fred's naivete. Yeah, he thinks Howard was the only disc jockey in the country who was a one-man operation? I mean, his job was to play music. How difficult does he, how many staffers does he think he needs? Yeah, absolutely.
6: How many people across the country were in the same exact spot and doing that for years? I mean, this is what it was. This is how inexperienced, though, that Fred is with broadcasting and I think This is a dead giveaway because he always seems surprised by things or he doesn't know things about the industry. They both are pretty naive when it comes to. And he
4: actually sounds bitter about it, as if Howard was treated poorly by being expected (laughs) to put away the records after you take them out.
0: Yeah. How dare you? How dare you, uh, you know, uh, expect the Paul McCartney of radio to clean up after himself?
4: I know. And furthermore, Fred, didn't you just do that for six hours? Weren't you the yeah. midnight to 6 a.m., man? Didn't you also have to put away records? And if you had any callers, tape them? But yeah. uh, he acts, you know, he's just a loyal lapdog at this point. Lapdog. So he knows it I pleases mean, the boss to hear this.
6: Other people are going to have to use that room on a different shift. Of course, yeah. you clean up after yourself. Everybody does it. This isn't a surprise.
0: Right. You know, can you imagine Howard having to look non-alphabetically for Pablo Cruz to, you know, to get his uh, his jollies for the next air shift?
4: Or can you imagine if it was Imus or um, Debella or who somebody else who Howard had a war against that uh, Soupy Sales, they left their records out. This shows you how egotistical they are. This shows yeah. you how yeah. um they how they demand everybody else cater to them. How they, that's how he would have treated that. Yep he was the whole restaurant to use that
3: metaphor you know he was doing it all and I'd come in the room and there were records all over the place and I don't know it's like for some reason, I'm going. You know, this guy seems to be having a hard time in here. And you know? it's like, what a fucking mess. Let me just like straighten this up a little bit. You know, it's like, yeah, I, I, it's like if you see somebody kind of like you know drowning. I mean, wouldn't you like throw him a line or something like that? So it was. It kind of looked like he was drowning in records. So basically, that's what I was doing. In addition to coming in a room and seeing if there was any other production that needed to be done. So he he, so
6: he had to give this whole exposition about. How hard Howard was doing everything made it made him seem like this multitasking maniac who had the weight of the world on his shoulders. And how could he possibly pick up a record and put it away?
4: Yeah. When really, Fred, he just made you his work wife. Now you're Allison (laughs) for him. When he gets to work, you pick up after me. You come up with ideas for me to do. You know, uh, Fred just explained how he was. Doing all these voices for Howard. And now he has to put away all the records because Howard was so overworked. Yep.
6: You, you just became an unpaid executive assistant. Like, why <laughs> yeah. are you doing that?
0: Yep. And Dummy? so and we, we get back to our good friend Elliot Gould, who takes us back to reality with uh, mild-mannered Svi off the
7: air. For all the bathroom humor that Howard displayed and the gross obsessions he would share with his listeners years later, he achieved a level of consistency at WCCC that translated into an even-tempered disposition off the air.
0: So the next three paragraphs are completely uh, uh, excised from the audiobook, so I'll read the first one. and Sam, you want to do the second one? And Ben, you can do the last. Uh, Howard's affect was rather gentle and thoughtful and at odds with the culture of rock radio, said Colin McEnroe, a columnist with the Hartford Courant, who at the time counted the city's radio beat among his duties at the paper. He was, on and off the air, a mannerly guy, so that when I heard years later about all the appalling things he was doing, I made a few inquiries t- to, to be sure it was the same Howard Stern.
6: Hmm. McEnroe added, it's fair to say that he wanted me to know about what he was doing but he was never obnoxious about it. He'd call up and say, here's something you might want to know about. Mm
4: -hmm. (laughs) Uh, When Nozell left the station with a bad case of radio burnout, that's the guy who Howard had on the birthday show who said... um,
0: We taught you how to
4: steal. We taught you how to steal. Yeah. He said, okay, when Nozell left the station with a bad case of radio burnout... Early in 1980, Howard accompanied him to the unemployment office and in the days that followed demonstrated concern by keeping in contact with his former boss. Yeah. And the next
0: paragraph in the company of the overnight disc jockey, Hal Lichtenbaum, known on the air as Lich, uh, Howard took up racquetball. They played. Late, can't even imagine that these days. They played late afternoon games at rollout in Rocky Point. Although Howard has maintained that WCCC was an intolerable tolerable slave pit, Lick remembers that he and Howard were so passionate about the radio business that they endlessly discussed ways to improve uh, the station. We talked about it as if it were our home and how we wanted to set it apart in the market. Lick said and so here's the next clip guys um let's see what we got here shitting on wccc well, so that's so th- yeah oh so sorry
6: this sounds like so the narrative of the slave pit i mean why do you want to make it sound like you're this oppressed worker versus you're this up and coming who's like thinking about it nonstop and really want you can't have it like both ways there can't be both narratives, like well, he, either they're he always has to be you or yeah. they're letting you be creative, and you're building a market. I mean, which is it?
0: He's always got to be a victim. It's always got to be some kind of siege mentality. Otherwise, it's not heroic. If you're just a regular schmo doing your thing and learning your craft and being influenced by people and in turn, you know, making your own way, which, well, like, which, what do bands do? Copy off, they cover mm-hmm. bands that they love and then eventually mm-hmm. depend develop their own style. The Beatles are a perfect example. The Stones, even more so. Um, and then you wean off the covers and you start writing your own music. He's the, he should be the same way and he should be more. He should be more humi- uh he, he should be more humble about it, but he doesn't have humility. We know that already. So, um, and it doesn't sound like the same way Robin needed a parade with boxer with a, you know MMA fighters and had to wear boxing gloves and put the stupid Muhammad Ali thing. It couldn't just be, you know, what I got lucky and I hooked up with the right guy and you know, and we became. <laughs> popular and, and she doesn't want because she, she knows her story is much like his. You both stumbled upwards mm-hmm. in, you know, with the right amount of luck and the right amount of people around you and counting on other people to not treat you
4: as shitty as you treated them when you stole mm-hmm. their material. That, that's the that's the combination of three there. That that, yep. that combination really is it. Yeah.
6: And you know how he said Nozelle, that guy, the, that uh, Nozelle left the station and he said he demonstrated concern demonstrated concern by keeping in contact with his former boss. Now, when have you ever seen Howard demonstrate concern for anybody? There has to be an ulterior motive. Like,
4: Oh, definitely.
6: You're not telling people I'm stealing. Are you making sure you Nozal used to go in? What can you do for me? Maybe like, there has to be some sort of ulterior motive. He doesn't, he doesn't have concern. no,
4: they used to write. Uh, you know, Nozel would have him on the phone and and discuss bits with him. So I'm mm-hmm. sure they would listen to the Steve Dahl stuff to, to yeah. say, "Here's what we can take from it," yep. and you know, that's my supplier.
6: Well, this is why I think that word choice is interesting. Demonstrate concern, not yeah. have concern.
1: Right. Yeah. It was the worst station. I mean, the station didn't even have great
4: ratings. Right?
1: <laughs> Never.
4: That's what used to kill my ratings in the morning. Thank God I got out of there. And they always used to have No, those no, 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 the- no, no, no. That's not how it works. The mm-hmm. morning guy establishes the ratings for the rest of the, the day. For the rest of the absolutely. You don't to say, "Oh, I didn't have ratings because Fred didn't have ratings." In midnight right, the overnight to six. guy was to blame. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the. Uh, This expression in radio, this old expression that I read was, as the morning goes, so goes the day. So if the morning does well, the the day will follow. But if you can't get ratings in the morning, you're not going to get it for the rest of the day. And you cannot blame the midnight to six guy for you not having ratings. Yeah. Yeah, I know. In TV,
0: there's a little more. It's it's a little more merit-based in TV, but it's you know the lead-ins would dictate sometimes how successful a show would be, and that's why when they moved certain shows like Seinfeld, they became more popular because I mean that's 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 the number one example I can think of off the top of my head. But there are loads of shows that were destroyed when they we switched schedules, and other shows that thrived when they switched you know when where they were placed during the week. Sam.
6: It's kind of like morning shows. You know how the Today show used to be the juggernaut with like Matt Lauer and Katie Couric or whatever mm-hmm. or you know, then people would stick with that programming after they were off the air. They didn't suddenly just like switch to CBS or something. They kept they kept going with that show. So it is true. The morning, who the fuck is listening to the radio at midnight and thinks, "You know what? <laughs>
4: I'm turning it I off. Should, now. I should
6: just forget sleep today and, you know, keep going
4: right. yeah in my well, in my research, I, I read <laughs> well, a, an. Interview, go ahead. <laughs> I, I read a quote from Steve Dahl when he was uh you know, Howard's age at this point and <clears throat> when he was doing mornings in Chicago, and he said he wants to do mornings because he doesn't want anyone else to get credit for the ratings, where if you do it any other time of the day, they can give the credit to your lead-in, but there's no lead-in really for the morning guy. So, uh that's where you go when you really want to prove yourself. And uh, Howard's first one to blame everybody else. Mm-hmm. Book, and it was always the same. Always hit
1: Damn. the rating book. The program director would blame us. You're talking
0: too much. <laughs> yes. I, was just, I, was, I was just thinking about this. What is it? A bunch of hookers with transistor radios saying, you know what? I'm I'm done for the day. I'm not. So 6 a.m. <laughs> rolls around.
1: Fuck this shit. <laughs> You're not playing, And I go, I think if I talked a little more, we might get some really decent ratings. I think if I stopped playing a little less Marshall Tucker band and pure prairie league.
0: So that's that. Um, and then this one is the uh, that asshole Ben Stern and his fatherly advice.
2: <laughs> One of the things that I noticed, whenever he he went from WRNW, he went up to Connecticut, I think WCCC. And uh, the only time I could hear it, we'd visit him and he would play tapes for me. And I never, I'll never forget this. I remember, remember he took out this tape and I listened to it. It was an interview. He went out on the street or someplace. I listened to this whole thing. I said, you know, this is terrific. Don't give it up. Because he did it on his own time. They didn't pay him for it. I says, it's worth the whole job because he was on the air five days. You know, they sat on you, and he couldn't really be that creative. But when he went out, he could be creative. And I liked the way he did it. And I forget, he wasn't in the business that long. And I said, this interview is wonderful. Just make sure you keep doing it.
0: Yeah, and uh, the next clip is called Great Bits Like This, Mr. Stern.
1: Okay. Now, I got my tape recorder out here. Now, supermarkets are a great place to meet women. Take my word for it. Now, just don't come on too strong. You sort of casually bump your shopping cart into hers, and then you comment on some of the food items. Now, let me show you what I mean, okay? Oh, 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 excuse me. Boy, do you believe these melons? My, they're expensive.
2: No, I really like the fact that you care about food. A lot of guys just don't spend the time to comparison shop. You're my kind of guy. Let's get together. Your place or mine.
0: That's the only clip I could find from him at WCCC, yeah. and that's, that's I on YouTube.
4: Isn't that it? Yeah. Isn't that something? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's I don't know. The history of Howard Stern. Yeah,
6: that tells a lot about why it's kind of erased off the Internet, because that is horror. You're talking about fruit.
4: <laughs> no, 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 you're talking about how expensive fruit is. So yeah. you're being a <laughs> Can you believe how miser? expensive? But, you know, you're saying melons because you're being double entendre guy. Right. But uh, you're also being the cheap guy. Can you yes. believe how expensive
0: melons are? Yeah. Uh, So, the next one is called Early Rating Success.
7: As far as the rival, WHCN, was concerned, Howard had succeeded in setting himself apart. The proof was in the ratings.
0: Guys, I don't know why uh, I forgot to make that uh, cut, but there's two paragraphs missing, so I'll read them really quickly. After trailing WCC in several ratings periods, WHCN tied its rival in the Arbitron Company's April-May survey of 1979. However, in the October-November ratings, a surge in Howard's numbers to a 3.2% share of the morning listening audience during a so-called average quarter hour helped WCCC to pull far ahead, which of WHCN once again. Uh, he was not kicking ass in Hartford, but he was a master of getting press and creating a stir, said Bob Bittens, who was then WHCN's overnight disc jockey and later the station's program director. So uh, that's and when you hear that clip, at the, the second part, as the result they took steps to remove him from a whcc even though howard was none the wiser so then the next clip is going to do it's going yeah, to explain do, I, exactly what you were you'd said many years ago actually about radio tricks and how to keep your guy at number one or yes, keep your show exactly. at number one yep. and it's actually ingenious when you think about it
6: yeah
4: but you're right which is that you take the competition. Uh, use your connections to get him out of that market and into another market. That's right. And, Maybe uh, I mean,
0: they get paid more but you're actually whatever it is you 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 both win. Like they get more money, they have to move somewhere right. else. Your show is saved like you get your ratings back perhaps. That's I mean that's that's a tactic I suppose. Right.
4: And these ratings they, they they say that um like a, a point in the ratings could be like 50,000 bucks in advertising revenue. Yes. So there were they were really um you know they watched these points, and they and they they teetered every single just so everybody knows. And I because I've just done some a lot of reading about this kind of stuff. These uh, ratings books they would fluctuate like crazy. So you could be number one uh, mm-hmm. in your genre, let's say, because usually number one might be like the news, not mm-hmm. not necessarily a personality. Yeah. You know, and and these radio guys usually were not personalities. It was rock radio with a DJ. Yeah. Um, but the they it could be as simple as the um the competitor market invested a ton of money in bumper stickers t-shirts and uh giveaway concert giveaways and then they for, surged ahead of you in the ratings so mm-hmm. it had nothing to do with um your supermarket cheapskate guy bit or whatever you know yeah. there's so many factors going on because in the end it's a pursuit of advertising dollars
0: yes at that time especially
6: and so Same. then what did they, so they, it was like a shell game with these radio DJs to keep them at number one.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So, so, uh, you know, these consultants would place, would find DJs in one market and move them to another market. They would have all these different, um, they would be, uh, uh, um, independent contractors, I, I guess, or freelancers for yep. so they'd have connections and they'd be aware that somebody in D.C., let's say, is looking for somebody and they know that Howard, who they had, they had just placed in Detroit, is now the victim of a country music uh, swap where they've yep. got format change. So they just yeah. The, and then these guys get their bonus, their headhunting bonus for placing them in this market. And, uh, you know, Howard stayed in touch with the guy who placed him in Detroit because mm-hmm. that guy helped place him in DC.
0: I forgot about that aspect completely, the fact that getting the person, finding the person might get you some money as well, and that so yeah. everybody there's you're getting money from the money is from
4: all angles. Yeah. It, it, and, it, and to show to underscore how unimportant personality really was. Yeah. It could just be like was there a blip in the ratings where the to, at the time when that person was there, okay, we'll take him. And the studio station manager might never even have heard this guy before. Yes, but that's right. I mean, that was the case in D.C. The owner hadn't even heard Howard before. Yeah. But there was a blip in the ratings. You know, we you know, we did or basically you didn't bleed out as fast as we thought you would. So therefore, Mm -hmm. you're a success. Yeah. In the case of De- Detroit, that's how it goes.
6: And yeah. we, didn't, we didn't even know, like, maybe they had a concert giveaway tickets. Like, because I remember I would listen to certain radio shows in the morning if they were giving away concert tickets to try to call in and win, but then I'd never yeah. listen to the station otherwise. So you're right. right. There could be some right. gimmick going on.
4: You, yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And this next clip is called Sounds Like the Howard Stern Show Today.
1: Really? In Hartford. In I don't know what he does now. Hey, Brian. Hey. This guy's funny. This guy, you got to hear this. I was doing morning radio in Connecticut. Oh, can I, can I
5: and, and I, pause I, for I hated a it because.
4: If I remember this correctly, they're going to slip into Steve Dahl's Chicago guy accent as they start talking to each other. The same Possibly. voice that Howard uses every time he does from from Johnny Fratto to Hilly Agent Bobby Marty Cole. Yep. Yeah, to Agent Marty Agent, Gold. It's yeah. the it's the Steve Dahl Chicago guy accent that and, Steve Dahl was doing because he was in Chicago. And I have clips to compare the two. Uh one, oh, good. It's a, one's a song.
0: It's it's but it yep. is was Steve it Steve Dahl? Little doing, uh, Yeah, Anti- and then, so I want yeah, pe- yeah people definitely got to hear the comparison because I, mean, I mean that's that's the the mandate. And there's here. no reason for Howard to have a Chicago accent up his sleeve. None whatsoever. No, no. no.
6: Really.
1: In, in Hartford. I don't know what he does now. Hey, Brian. Hey. This guy's funny. This guy, you gotta hear this. I was doing morning <laughs> radio in Connecticut, and I'm on the air, and, and I I hated it because I was the morning guy. I had to back time into Paul Harvey. Then I had to go collect local news. and I had to be the newsman and the funny, the stupid DJ and play records yeah. and no producer, nothing. So you, you, I mean, you were working your tail off. It was actually like physical labor. <laughs> you know. It was and a real job. One time, this guy walks in, and he's a big guy. I'm in the middle of trying to back time into Paul Harvey. Isn't that when you did this? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Okay. You mind me telling this? No, go ahead. All right. All of a sudden, he whips it out (laughs) while I'm opening the mic. And he lays it down right on the console. Oh, no. So I'm on the air and I'm going, and I'm trying to back time. And you got to understand, these guys would fire you if you didn't back time right. i get yelled at for this. So I'm like, okay, everybody, WCCC. All of a sudden, I look over, this guy's schlong. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I take a record album and I swat his wiener. I go to swat his wiener. He pulled it away quick. I almost got him in the wiener. (laughs) This is all going on while I'm doing the show.
3: But his wiener. Hey, you queer, what do you got the
1: wiener out there
4: for, boy?
6: <laughs> yeah. Oh. Now they're
4: doing the Chicago guy. Yeah, yeah badly. I'm
6: noticing, I'm noticing him slipping into this almost instinctually. That's how much he stole.
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, Robin kind of introduced the queer the, in the background. You could hear her go Chicago first. But And Robin has no reason to have a Chicago guy impression. Right.
0: And uh, just one moment, I'll cue up the um, it's actually like
6: Madonna, she, it's like Madonna when she started, you know, having an English accent one day and we were all supposed to think that's fine. Like, you want us to go least. along with this fraud? You married an English guy. You're not English. That's not oh, how this right. works.
0: So, guys, we're going to compare the Millie Bobby Brown voice. I could get a Johnny Frato clip really quickly, but I'm not going to bother because, you know, you guys all know what it is. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So. Uh, so here's uh, him with the Ready Millie for Bobby the torture. Brown. torture. Yeah.
1: We're going to compare it with Steve Dahl. And, uh, you know, listen, thank God she's growing up nice. She's not getting any of that awkward stage. Like that lispy kid. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't look awkward. You're right. I the said there, Millie, we can't tolerate you having some sort of awkward stage. You got to do a Brooke Shields and just be hot from the time you're a little girl to the time you're a woman. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so there's
5: that.
6: Way, even yeah. the Chicago thing. is so creepy. I hate it is. that bit. Well,
4: who who thinks of agents and going? Oh, they're usually from Chicago. These slick Hollywood agents. No. So yeah. this is a, a song parody.
0: Steve Dahl. Um, it did as a character, Little Anthony, um, yeah. and it's called, Little, you know, uh, it's, an, it's, yeah,
4: Anthony DiGiovanni. the Giovanni was one of his characters. He. That's he, right. He, yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, you guys get you guys pretty much get the the the, yeah. the
4: you know. The I comparison. wish that there was a clip where he was actually just talking instead of singing, but you, yeah. you get it. I mean, it's really hard to find Steve Dahl stuff. We were just right. discussing this before. Yep. So you have to and take what so, you can get and So Again, the, the, though, the he, yeah, he go ahead.
6: Made, he made that character though. You know, he is from Chicago, but having well, that, you know, really that character with a more pronounced Chicago accent. And right. he, he well, developed he, these characters. Howard yeah. is stealing not only the voice, but stealing the ideas of characters from yeah. Steve Dahl. This fucking so Steve's, terrible. Not, Steve's,
4: not from, Steve's not from Chicago. He's from California. And so he observed the Chicago accent as an outsider would and exaggerated yes. it for comedic effect. And Howard not understanding that's not just something you take that regional thing and apply it to wherever you need it yep. uh it, it that doesn't become the the hartford cab driver voice that's a chicago voice
0: that's right and so one of the clips i wanted to play is him uh, talking from 2010 the v- vietnam vet thing that he that he oh. stole from the grease man yeah and it, but badly like so i'm just going to play that really quickly so somebody made a
1: mistake and they figured it out That's all. She's not traumatized. You want to be traumatized? I'll show you how to get traumatized. Spend a year in Vietnam during the Vietnam War. Go to Afghanistan. You'll be traumatized. So you fucking lost your job and they figured out that you shouldn't have. Go take the fucking job. Uh, you act as if it's so easy Get over it you, Everybody should get over it You can't get over anything I get over everything I'm <laughs> oh, a trooper I'm a soldier me. That's why there's a Howard wham, Stern wham, show wham. I'm a soldier
4: <laughs> You sit here and whine all day about When everything. I was
1: in Vietnam I was in Vietnam for three years of my life I did four oh active duty God. tours What do you think? I liked everything I did over there? <laughs> I did it When your CO tells you to go do something You do it Right. That's thirty-six fucking months of my life over there, not Hell Hall.
6: How did he? How did he get away with this?
1: Well, this I mean, and this. Supposedly, he did it
0: much earlier than this, and it's in Private Parts, the movie.
4: Well, yeah, that's
6: that's what makes
4: valor. it legal. Suddenly, he shows himself inventing it, uh, and therefore, my follow-up oh, in uh, DC, which was the Grease Man, couldn't have yeah. invented it because if you watch Private Parts, you'll see I invented it, and right. that I had long hair. So
0: here's oh, the here's the but, video section. Oh, actually, I shouldn't it, play it, but go ahead.
6: Isn't there some like sort of stolen valor thing? Like you can't do that. Like
4: <laughs> no, I don't think there's. A, I mean, I don't think there's an intellectual property aspect of this stuff other than people who know know and say you're stealing. You're this is wrong. But I don't think there's an intellectual property to. I, I mean, like every impression that fred was doing was a dan Aykroyd impression from saturday night live right so um you know david harvey's george bush set the tone for how george bush impressions are so um so anyway i don't think there's an intellectual property that's being uh, you know you could just say you're a thief and they are a thief
6: i know but i'm saying for vietnam like saying you're a soldier isn't that like you know how you can't impersonate a police officer and you'll get arrested for doing that I mean, can you impersonate pretending you ha- you're a soldier? And you well, this, like, I think
4: you can. I, I'm I think sure, there's plenty I'm of homeless sure, guys I'm who sure. can get away
0: with that.
6: Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sure that's the case. Anyway, the Greaseman has a, had a series. Yeah, he still has a website that looks like it was straight out of 1980, 1995. Um, and he sells the best of the Greaseman, which was released in like the late 80s, 88 or something. And the character was called Sergeant Fury based on a Marvel uh, Comics character, actually. And he's the and, Vietnam. And he, that, was, and
4: it's, and it's and he like, was doing you know, this. Yeah, 10 years or So he's doing this like when it was, yeah, when it was right following after the, the, the Vietnam War. Right. So wow. late how we doing it in the 90s, really, you know.
6: Yeah. That doesn't make any sense.
3: <laughs> Man, enjoying my labor day. I know where I'm going today. Uh, well, you know, a lot of people be out in England, hitting the beach, working with family and friends, enjoying the last summer. But no, I ain't going to be hanging out with any of my friends. Today, I'll be remembering some of my friends. Remembering. I'm
1: going to the monument
3: today. The Vietnam Memorial Monument. I
0: was there the other day. At any rate, so that's 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 kind of you know the genesis of that's almost believable. every bit. Believable
6: and it's it's an interesting character too.
4: Yeah, well yeah, the like point of his at... though was his his were little stories where he would yeah. describe tell what happened, and they had a they always ended with a punchline. Yeah, so uh, it would be you know this it Howard only took the graphic stuff like oh yeah I had gook earrings I yeah. had or, you know <laughs> I, I took their ears and I made a necklace out of them or whatever. He right. only took the parts that he remembered which was the the offensive stuff but um, you know I can't I can, I, I only am vaguely familiar with these but I went through and listened to a bunch of them years ago mm-hmm. and his would be would build up to this payoff that always made him look like a terrible reckless Dangerous soldier, responsible yeah. for all kinds of catastrophe. Even as he remembered it heroically, uh, or would you re- know re- remember it with this kind of a um, reverence? But it yeah. always ended him with him being a shithead, doing everything you know that that yeah. was really bad. But it's all done comedically and told in this way yeah. that uh, that it was scripted, and there were sound effects and so on. Howard just recalled, "Oh, I liked when he said I had an earring. <laughs> you know, that Nicholas is made from this, so I'll take that, and I'll I can." I'll go one, I'll give you a theory here. So when in order for Howard to become number one in DC, they had to buy the Grease Man because the Grease yep. Man was preventing him from being deep. So they had to say, look, we're gonna hire you and move you to afternoons. Yep. Therefore, Howard can be number one. And I think that the Howard took that bit basically of saying, like, we own you now. Yep. My station owns you, and I own your stuff. Yep.
0: Yeah. And, and uh the the ironic thing is he was ready to go to canada um you know to get out of the draft if he had to yeah right so could you
6: imagine him as an actual soldier holy christ
0: that wig would be a target big time uh let's see the next one i don't know why i wrote ohio but it's supposed to be adios connecticut the motor city awaits radio consultant dwight douglas i listened to the
3: tape and i thought there's something here, there's there's uh, something going on. So I uh, called Howard Stern and asked him uh, to give me a complete package, and he was uh, very efficient. And after listening to the tapes, it struck me that he was kind of like
1: Alan Alda on acid. They had a job opening in Columbus for a really good Burkhardt Abrams station, highly rated. I was a little nervous. I like to go to a toilet bowl and bring up the ratings. And I got in touch with the PD, and he was interested in me, and then his morning show agreed to stay. It worked
0: out a deal. All I see. Yeah, because he was there. There was it was going to be a bump over to Columbus, but then it ended up being Detroit. That's why I wrote it that way. Um, But that one that that one follows the that should follow the next clip that we're going to play. But for some reason, I have a miss miss misorganized disorganized Uh, uh, Ben.
4: Yeah. um, So what he just said was I was nervous about going there because they had good ratings. And I like to go to a toilet bowl and bring up the ratings. Now, I just want to point out. The only job he had before this job uh, at WRNW did not get Arbitron ratings. They were too right. small of a station. They didn't have ratings. Right. When he went to Hartford, he was only in Hartford, meaning only working in a in a station that even gets ratings for 11 months total. Yeah. So and as you saw, he peaked at a 3.2 share. Yes. So right. uh, you know, out of every hundred radios, three were listening to him in any given 15 <laughs> minutes. So. <laughs> He, I mean, maybe he brought it up, but what's fewer than three radios turned on to your station? Two? One? yeah. But, uh, but anyway, it's not like he had this long track record behind him of joining toilet bowl stations and skyrocketing them. But before mm-hmm. we move on to, to leave Harvard, I would love to go and do a comparison for everybody when you're ready. Yeah. To show where Steve Dahl was in his career at this time and yep. where Howard Stern was in his career. Okay. By all means. Well, if you, if, all right. First, I want to set a little like character scene. OK, because this is this is the first time Howard has ever been in the news. And it was February 1978 when he was at WRNW. And this is The New York Times. And I'm just going to give you a quick little read because mm-hmm. I just want to compare how Howard was at this time and how Steve Dahl was at this time. So here's February 1978. The program director, Howard Stern, echoes Schreier's statement. Uh, about wanting colleges, college, college coverage on the news station. Here's Howard's quote. There's been a complete void in covering any kind of local issues, everything from local government to happenings in the schools, just taking calls, speaking to people, finding out what really what Westchester's needs are. Mr. Stern said, that's our edge. That's the difference. He hopes to give the station an identity. He sees the station's function as providing entertainment and information. We want to have a definite sound. We want people to turn on WRNW and know right away, that's WRNW. That's my station. I like it. Mr. Stern, a morning disc jockey, became station programmer when on-air personalities Joseph P. Piecak and Meg Griffin resigned from WRNW in November. Harris Allen, like Mr. Stern, is in his early 20s. Has replaced Ms. Griffin as music music director. Mr. Allen would not care to label the station's sound as "quote light, soft, or mellow." He does admit that some popular artists, such as The Who and The Rolling Stones, have been virtually eliminated from the available music library. However, this results from the fact that the songs do not reflect the new R&W sound. The station still plays mainly album cuts. Okay, so that's the that's Howard Stern and at almost exactly the same time, three months later in Chicago, this is what's going on with Steve Dahl. DJ Steve Dahl hits FM airwaves with rock of humor. I'm just going to read some highlights from this article. Dahl is Mincow's... Minkow is the name of the... Um, Station manager, I believe. His last name is Minkow. Jack Minkow. Yeah, he's the station manager. Dahl is Minkow's bonus baby. His bid to put WDI-FM on top of the morning ratings heap among 18 to 34-year-old FM listeners. Dahl did it for two stations in Detroit before moving to Chicago in January. And Minkow is betting his corporate points at ABC headquarters in New York that Dahl will do the same for W-D-A-Y and ai in Chicago. For Dahl, who is only 23 and was once described by a Detroit writer as a Botticelli cherub with aviator glasses. The move has been a big one. Three years ago, he was making $3 an hour as an expendable disc jockey in Bakersfield, California. Under his three-year contract with WDAI, he's making $52,000. Keep in mind, Howard was making $12,000 in Hartford. Right. He was making $52,000 the first year. Younger than Howard, by the way. Mm-hmm. With annual yeah. increments that will make, take him up to $60,000 and beyond. MinCal claims that that makes Dahl the highest paid morning FM radio personality in the country. Um, The usual fare, this is talking about Steve's show, between lots of pre-programmed album-oriented rock consists of a few unusual audience response segments and dialogue between the dozen or so imaginary characters doll does among the regular routines are go back to bed with doll arranging for a day off or sleepy voice secretary or computer programmer ball out the boss, which gives employees a chance to sound off on their employer's picadillos, uh, and Steve dolls dating game in which Dahl has men calling on one line and women on the other, while he randomly pushes buttons, arranging on-air conference calls among the three of them. Typical prizes for winners, two TV dinners, a bottle of Skid Row cheap wine, and two tickets to a triple X-rated film. But much of the show's humor comes from Dahl's quick wit. Um, The interplay between the characters, Dahl, and the audience is what most amuses listeners. While Baba Ganoush, that's one of his characters was giving a back rub via telephone to an art gallery owner who called in Rex, that's Steve Dahl's gay character, who Howard would later Ah. invent three years later, um, could be heard in the background hyperventilating with excitement. Baba apologized to the gallery owner for using only one hand because he had to use the other to hold Rex back. Um, another part of Doll's appeal is what seems to be his unpredictability, a natural consequence of a show that is half planned and half improvised. Many of Doll's double entendres are full of sexual innuendo. Um, WDAI has already spent $100,000 promoting Doll. Minkow said if he can deliver 50% of what he was doing in Detroit, then he's worth a fortune to us. Dahl's April media stat ratings were triple what they were in March. According to WDI program director Roger Skolnick, the, but the first real test will be the Arbitron ratings. The first one for Dahl's brief tenure will come out in June. Just to let you know, he shoots to number one. Um, mm-hmm. at, at least, I'm yeah. sorry, at number two. Ties for number two, I guess, in the market. Uh, And this is also this is before, by the way. This is while he's at a W R N W. This is while he's at W R N W. So Howard's not even, yeah, yeah. Howard's not even in Hartford yet. So this is uh, still just before he joins Hartford. Uh, Disc jockey. This is uh, August fifteenth of seventy eight. Disc jockey Steve Dahl returned to a Detroit, Detroit, from his now sixty thousand dollar a year job, to get married, uh, and share some specifics. For example. The Chicago stations that grabbed Dahl spent more than $100,000 in research to find out what Dahl's appeal to Detroiters was. Yep. The Frank Magid research firm found that Dahl's Detroit audience was the new blue-collar worker, a hip and socially aware high school graduate with an income right at the U.S. average. The researchers also found that Dahl generated incredible loyalty. If he was not on the air, his audience didn't listen to the radio at all. Um, outside of driving a new BMW, how is Dahl doing in Chicago? While he's only been there for seven months, already WDAI has moved from fifth to first with 18 to 24-year-olds during Dahl's morning shift. The station has also climbed from 14th to 8th with a broader range of listeners. So just to fill you in now, December in December of that year, and if you guys want to interrupt, go right ahead or cut in at all.
6: I was going to say the 18 to 34 demo, if like anybody follows ratings and TV, that's like the most coveted age group of people for advertisers. I know that much. And I also think that, you know, at least for the characters that you talked about, Howard has completely ripped and the game. Oh, there'll be more.
4: So this is just
6: unbelievable. And what did Howard want to do? He wanted to do he wanted to take the cool records off. He wants yeah. to basically be like Q102.5 or something, like some soft Delilah rock crap. And then he wants to add news and – Yeah, about the community. People. What? Yeah,
4: about the community. Yeah, okay. Community affairs. Okay, so in December of that year, 1978, Steve loses his job because the station switches formats, which is common in radio, and especially oh, yeah. at that time, rock. So this time it goes from rock to disco. Yeah. When Howard loses his job, it goes from rock to country. So anyway, it goes from rock to country. Oh, sorry, rock to disco. Uh, in March of the following year, 1979, which is just a month before Howard starts in Hartford, Steve gets hired at WLUP. And by the way, that's the station where Howard would first become syndicated to in Chicago and mm-hmm. end up with aides on the program director and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's where Steve begins to play disco records interrupted by explosion sound effects. Yep. And then in April, Howard starts working in uh, Hartford. So this is June, just a couple months later. This is a news story. June 10th. Steve Dahl, general of the, quote, insane coho lips, anti-disco group and DJ for WLUP radio arrived at Point East Linwood last Sunday in a Jeep and was dressed in army attire. He and the popular local rock band Cartoon drew a crowd that exceeded all records in South Suburbia. More than 2,000 fans were unable to gain entrance to the already overcrowded club. Many had camped in the club's parking lot since early afternoon, spending the time drinking beer and barbecuing. Lindenwood police, fearing a riot, called for assistance that drew help from as far as Crown Point, <laughs> Indiana, and Frankfurt. Mark... Sagan promotions manager said no one was hurt no damage was done and no arrests were made. all we got was a big mess and a lot of publicity so this is the beginning. I just want to set the stage of Steve Dahl using theatrics that Howard will later will, will later use mm-hmm. uh, in this case it's dressing up like an army guy to go out and he smashes disco records over his head yep. but, to show, but that's I just what want to show, Howard the, uh,
6: did he did the same yeah. thing. He yeah, I do want
4: to say the popularity of Steve Dahl they had never seen before in Chicago. So let me just go on. This is July, of, July 28th, 1979. Hold on. Disco, before, you, before, yeah. before you go into that, I just want to preface. People have to
0: understand the context of disco was so polarizing in the late 70s yes. that – that, like, it was literally a talking point for so many people that fuck disco, disco sucks. That became, uh, yeah. that became a new, uh, there's loads of t shirts actually. I know there's a one famous one where he's wearing that actually, uh, Steve Dahl. That disco t-shirt. sucks. Yeah. Disco sucks. And, and people were like vehemently, there was a deep hatred of it in the music industry as well because it was replacing musicians because they yeah. were using. And if you
4: remember, yeah, Howard made money on the side at, um, W R and W by going to the Holiday Inn and playing disco music because none of the other DJs wanted to do it. And so he's right. the like picket line crosser guy who goes, I'll oh, do it. To- yeah. So uh he would go there and play disco when people with integrity said, No, this is That's not for me.
6: That's so- why Matt Griffith and Gri-ri- you know Griffin, Hugh- Griffin sorry, Griffin, yeah. Matt Griffin. I'm thinking of like Peter Griffin, the family guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um she uh she was a music person. She liked the rock and roll. She cared very much about music and oh, yeah. was into music, not like Howard. And so when they were like, we're going to change, he was like, I'll be the corporate shill. Yep. I'll do whatever.
0: Yep. <laughs> One of my favorite stories in the book was how he got Chased out of a, a dance, like he was supposed to DJ somewhere, and he didn't know how to play dance records. He just played the Beatles. Album. The Beatles, like,
5: yeah, all the way
4: through. Could you? I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine you're there with your cocaine spoon, and you're ready with your leisure suit, and you're like the Beatles. This is yeah, not even the same decade. It's not even right. But, exactly. Uh, all of a sudden, here, there, yeah. and everywhere comes on. <laughs> you yeah, see this in this guy
6: with diamonds. <laughs>
4: to build up feel more to the audio. Clips that I sent you that you could pick and choose from. But this is basically just to lead up to this is where Howard as Morning Man and Steve as Morning Man are now operating at the same time. But yes. until now, the most outrageous thing Howard has done was say the strong the song Four strong winds. Maybe it's a he had a, a, a bad dinner last night something like that that was his joke about neil young that was the most outrageous he'd been was making a comment about the song title four strong winds sounds like he maybe had a a meal that didn't agree with him right so this is uh uh i'll just read this right right before you lead into that no worries i'm just gonna queue it up yeah disco music is a disease the heavy young man in the bizarre military uniform declared steve was like 200 pounds um yeah I call it disco dystrophy. It's an affliction where you're forced to wear white three-piece suits, blow dry your hair for two hours, do certain dances in a sexually extroverted manner and wear a cocaine spoon around your neck. The people victimized by this killer disease walk around like zombies. We must do everything possible to stop the spread of this plague. The diatribe belongs to Steve Dahl, the morning man and resident comic at WLUPFM, a popular Chicago radio station. Besides his daily radio gig, Dahl is a commanding general of the insane coho lips anti-disco army a, a group of pure rock and roll fans dedicated to eliminating disco dystrophy in our lifetime in the last couple of months doll's 7,000 member army has staged three raucous anti-disco rallies destroyed thousands of disco albums pelted disco fans with marshmallows repeatedly <laughs> assaulted the, the disco van of a rival radio station so he invented basically these rival radio wars yeah um but and uh, because the disco stations that he was making fun of felt, including the one who fired him. Uh, so it was personal, um, yes. felt under attack because his fans are throwing marshmallows at them. I mean, it's pretty harmless, Funny. but uh, pelted with marshmallows, repeatedly assaulted the disco van of a rival radio station with WLU. Oh, yeah. They put stickers uh, on it and triggered a huge mob scene at Comiskey Park that resulted in the Chicago White Sox losing a game by forfeit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sit- so you maybe you want to play the clip.
6: Wait. Yeah. I, I, Before I we do say, that, go ahead, Sam. You think about this and how Howard absolutely took this whole identity and yes. what was he doing? He was reaching out to college kids who are the yes. most, you know, narcissistic, you know, progressively thinking. They're not the anti-hero. They're they're the they're the disco warriors. They're the, the you know, they're not It's completely the antithesis, but he realizes the popularity and what Dahl was doing and commanding the lead of being the anti. And also, Steve was talking to what did they say? They said the middle class worker, that the blue collar guy, the new blue collar guy. Do you think a blue collar guy is going to listen to what a bunch of college fucks have to say? (laughs) No, they don't care. They exactly. don't want to yeah. hear that. Nobody with a pail and a lunchbox at a fucking construction site wants to hear about a college kid thinks
0: yep. at all. Right. And so when we, when we, th- you guys, it, again, everything is contextual guys. You have to understand what the, the, the it was about getting headlines, uh, you, the, from just saying to the listeners, any, but anything that would get you headlines would get you more attention and hence more ad revenue because more listeners, even if they hate you. And that was the key. Howard was to polarizing audiences eventually, but that's what Steve Dahl did as well. So eventually something like this, this disco demolition at Comiskey park, um, it it made him it made him absolutely uh, a huge name across the country.
6: Yeah. Right. And, and he Howard stole his audience then like by 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 transferring his away from the college guy, the college girl and the you know, that sort of upper echelon people who go to college. He he took the blue collar audience like he stole Steve Dahl's blue collar audience. Audience, you know well.
0: Well, it was a it was a question of markets. Like, I don't think I don't recall that Steve Dahl ever syndicated uh, outside. I think once he got to Chicago, that was the apex of his career. No, no, no. Know. I'll
4: I'll fill you in on that. Uh, okay. Just, <laughs> yeah, but uh, but just so you know, he he did. He was simulcast his Chicago show. He was later on becomes simulcast to Detroit and to um, Milwaukee and. The day – the Friday before he was scheduled to go to Los Angeles – so he was opposite Howard. So they were yeah. in the same market at the same time. Right. The day he was scheduled to go to Los Angeles and Kentucky, um, they pulled him off the air because of a, they couldn't come to terms with the contract. Yes. So um, so he, he was simulcasting uh, in, in different cities and uh, about to go – I mean – the closest to national, yeah, about ten years before Howard did. Yeah, so absolutely. even though Howard invented it, Steve was doing it for years before, yeah. for years before Howard did. And Sam? then,
6: so you also, Steve Dahl can speak to this audience of blue collar people. Meanwhile, Howard, what what was his initial want? He wanted to speak to this, these elite college. people. So he never was the blue collar guy. I mean, he he never has been either. There is no well, experience in that realm.
4: I, I just go back to Howard being a malleable puppet. Yep. And so the new owners wanted a certain kind of uh, of uh advertiser and they said okay well then we have to have this kind of audience and the audience that we want listens to steely dan and fleetwood mac and you know whatever was the, you know the billy joel whatever was soft rock king at the time limp that's shit that's the play and howard says I'm the only world's only music DJ who doesn't like music. So I'll play whatever you like. (laughs) BG's
6: BG's forever.
4: (laughs) Yeah. If you want to go uh, disco, because I'll play disco and I don't care. My ear can't tell the difference. I don't know what you even mean by genre. I don't know what you're talking about.
0: I can't even fathom being a fan of radio, like being a fan of radio, claiming to love radio, but hating music.
4: And not know, not being able to cite anybody as an influence or somebody right. you liked. So you love yeah. radio, except everything about radio.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so here we go with a little bit of de- demolish, disco demolition, guys. Here's for the clips from the, uh, from the uh, actual uh, footage.
2: Team. Time for Brad Palmer sport. Many of the fans are scattering off the field
4: now when they sight the police, and many stock security numbers are joining the police, which are now about forty or fifty, and they're slowly, now rapidly, walking out the center field where the
2: fire is burning. <laughs> the fans are now streaming off the field in great numbers, and I doubt if very few will be left to confront the police as they come in. So a rock, and a, night a to riot. Yeah. a riot right here.
0: That so the, they're burning disco records and destroying them actually, and they're well actually, the fans.
4: Uh, Yeah, the fans in the audience rushed the field, which was not supposed to happen, and they lit it on fire. Yeah. And there's police there.
2: Yeah. ...games of a doubleheader at Comiskey Park last night as White Sox owner Bill Vec went a promotion too far. It was billed as disco demolition night. A rock disc jockey came up with the idea of blowing up disco records as part of his self-serving campaign against disco. And the White Sox is... went along by admitting anybody bringing a disco record for 98 cents. You try something, you don't know how it's going to end up, necessarily. You think it's a good idea, uh, and it just got out of hand. He, he was more popular, had more pulling power than we felt was possible. Uh, He's an I suppose insurrectionist. I should have anticipated this, but that's nothing exactly has ever
0: given
5: me any indication.
4: Him. Sorry?
5: He's an that's exactly insurrectionist. How, that's exactly
4: how... W- WLUP's management described it. We we did not mean to cause an insurrection. Right. Because we, that's, to, we, that's... Should,
6: we need some hearings.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so for, since the, we're watching part of the video, they're just talking. That was the uh, manager. Was it owner, uh, uh, owner of the Sox? I didn't see who it was. But, uh, I um, believe so. Yeah. Saying, you know, we thought we'll just bring Steve Dahl in. And I'll, I'll have some quotes from him later. But uh, they had – no idea he was this popular, and so, um, what ends up happening is they br- he brought in a capacity crowd, which they were shocked by. And yeah. uh, <laughs> there were not only did he bring 45,000 inside, but there were 15,000 <laughs> plus outside, outside, so yeah. uh, who couldn't get in. So, um, <laughs> nobody was expecting Steve's stunt to draw this many people, and you have this combination of People who don't care about baseball whatsoever, yeah. um, who are drunk, who are probably stoned, <laughs> who love rock and roll and hate disco. And yeah. Steve comes out and does this little thing with his, you know, blowing up. It, it, anyway, it was, he's, he does the theatrics that Howard yeah. will come become known for when he does funerals later on. Yeah. But, uh, you know, at this point, just keep in mind, Howard's biggest audience live appearance was when he went to a movie theater to introduce – Magical Mystery Tour
0: to an audience no, of thirty. No, I think no. Wasn't it uh, the Sergeant, uh, Peppers. Sergeant Pepper's? Yeah, Sergeant the... Pepper's
4: to an audience of thirty.
0: Yeah, and <laughs> no, Steve... no. According to Colford, there were two people in the audience.
4: <laughs> right, right. I mean, yeah. So Steve gets an audience of seventy thousand. Howard has never drawn an audience of seventy thousand for anything. His book signings brought exactly. brought ten. Including his
0: own movie, the the end of the movie. There's they 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 didn't have enough extras. They had to digitally yep. in they had to include extras digitally to the ACDC concert scene.
6: Yes, and they were paying. Like I said, remember I met that at my friend's husband who lived in New York City and was DJing yeah. at the time. They were outsourcing other DJs to try to give tickets away. To the premiere. <laughs>
0: to to mm. stand in line, to make it look like it was
4: happening.
6: Stand in line. Yeah, to now, make it look like it <laughs> I really,
4: I really believe that all of Howard's um, stage things from the FCC rally to the funerals, um, he had this in the back of his mind I'm going to yes. draw a crowd of 70,000. It's going to turn into a riot. People are going to be so upset because Steve was only out there for like, I don't know, three minutes or something. And he's yeah. gone. And then his fans are rabid and they want more and they rush the field. And they just start burning and they destroy. And Howard never uh, inspired that kind of a reaction from in any, any audience, despite trying to. Despite the nudity on the stage, despite the rock and roll bands or, you know, Leslie West, he yeah. never inspired this kind of reaction. Uh,
0: reaction devotion yeah no well the, the only closest i'm thinking is uh the the last day at uh k rock um Maybe, i don't know how I many mean, people were there we could look it up actually there should be a number yeah. in some articles
4: also um a free uh, giveaway the sirius xm the, 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 giveaway the well, sirius that, even that wasn't that many right
6: that, that that also too got infiltrated by the pests which if you look at any of the pictures oh, they're yeah. everywhere they're everywhere the opie
0: and, and anthony fans Yeah, Uh, maybe maybe one of the funerals, maybe one of the Philly
4: funerals with the I don't think he drew more than like 15,000 at the most. I'd say that was about right. Like hockey arena size.
6: What about the Central Park thing? That was like
4: that's fictional.
6: Oh, that, the
4: Bryant Park, the Grant Park thing, isn't it? That didn't that's, really that's happen. for the movie. Yeah. That, no, nobody celebrated him being no. temporarily number one <laughs> with adults. No, no, it's like number one with men aged 34 to 50 or something like I that in that afternoons. That was, yeah. Yeah. ACDC didn't fly from Australia to congratulate him on his temporary <laughs> stranglehold on the afternoons.
6: Uh, ben, do you think, like, we should tell Jamie Raskin about this event so that you can pull him in? Sure. <laughs> <Who? Who? laughs> the congressman. So can have more. Oh, 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 let's tell him about Steve Jaw and this terrible insurrection.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, we... So I'm just going to play a little more of this. We had rock concerts in which we didn't have this many people. 50,000 people got in before the White Sox called upon Chicago place to help close the gates. Didn't take long for the realization to set in that rock fans under the influence of beer and drugs and armed with disco records they had been invited <laughs> to destroy don't mix with baseball. There was trouble almost from the start. Tiger outfielder Ron oh LaFleur God, saying... This looks like Without a doubt, it was the worst Ryan. position I've ever played in, yes. you know. I was in Detroit the opening day and like they threw about five bottles at me, but they, they were throwing golf balls out there. One play that I made and left than a field, I caught a ball. and. Golf ball went right between my legs. as The ball was going into my glove, and I looked down there. It was a golf ball. I thought it was a piece of paper or something. Then there was a few bottles thrown out there. And then records was zooming by every everywhere. I mean, it was probably Rutgers a marshmallow. It was stuck right yeah. back behind my foot. Even the White Sox outfielders were wearing
4: batting helmets. The White Sox lost the game four to one. <laughs> <Aww. Then> came... <laughs> so that was His... the buildup. That was them. That was them waiting for Steve. They were getting, uh, you know, antsy. testy. Yeah, yeah. antsy. <laughs>
6: When and having to put
4: up this, with base, it's a shitty baseball game. This is
6: hilarious. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, where's the Buffalo and, and, Horns guy? And like Steve, <laughs> yeah.
4: Steve says, like, look, they were like a thousand places out of number one, so they had no chance. I mean, it was like you know, this game meant nothing to Chicago. It was a nothing game. Uh,
0: it was like a one they were advertising years <laughs> later. Well, I can't remember. It was the Tampa Bay Devil Rays or someone. And then, like, they said, wait till the seventh inning stretch. Vanilla Ice is going to come out and perform. This
4: event is is mentioned in the um, the HBO Bee Gees documentary. I watched oh, it a wow. few years ago. And uh, because <laughs> this really just – this really captured – a strong point of view about disco. You know, the mm-hmm. Bee Gees were like the leading disco act. And uh, there's this revisionist history that the disco sucks idea was homophobic and racist. Oh. And it has absolutely nothing to do with either of those things. I mean, no. listen to what Steve is saying. They don't like the that it's ubiquitous. They don't like that it's uh, soulless. They don't like the costuming that comes with it how expensive it is and so on it's everywhere it's i mean it's in commercials it's everything right you're also not going to a disco show
0: you're only going into clubs and rock at the part of the rock pageantry was to go attend a concert with outdoor indoor whatever and um, it's just the, and the sound, cl- It was clearly about the music. It was just literally, yeah. it was mostly about the music and secondary about the culture of disco, which was really decadent and, uh, you know, you know, studio 54, all this Plato's retreat It was like, disco was, you know, it, the disco was really also, there was a class issue with disco because it was meant for, as you guys said before, upper tier or definitely like, uh, like I said, more well-heeled people. A rock yeah artist or rock band, rock band's fan would be definitely blue collar people generally. Sam? Yeah.
6: It reminds me of the time I remember specifically when boy bands started to become really popular and the Britney and Christina whole thing during that time period, you would have during the VMAs like musical acts that were actually rock people just shaking their heads. Like, how is this we went from Nirvana and like Pearl Jam to this like this is what's we're we're right this is what they hated it like you could the in the audience you just saw the palpable dismissive just shame on these people's faces during these shows in the beginning of it like they absolutely hated it the worst was to counter that then you started getting bands like Corn and Limp Biscuit, which real rockers hated that too. Oh
5: God. So like
4: yeah. they, 90s. Thought
6: that, they thought that they were like the, uh, uh that oh, we're going to counter this. <laughs> like they hated that, l- all of it. Fred,
4: Fred Durst singing with Christina Aguilera <laughs> bridging that. And yeah. anyway, but yeah, it's, it's an apt comparison, but I would just say, I think rock and rollers were a lot more dangerous back then. Oh, yeah. Um, they were a little, it was, it was seedier and dirtier. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, Howard would have been terrified to meet <laughs> rock fans. I mean, there you was imagine a him why at this he, venue. <laughs> I, I mean, in Detroit, where he goes to blue-collar Detroit and yeah. refuses to go to any event that he's not being forced to go to um by because uh, he's scared to death of blue-collar people. Yeah.
6: Yeah. Remember he ran away. Remember the remember, fireworks?
4: The, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. He concert.
6: Concert.
0: <laughs> yeah, he said they yeah. were throwing dynamite.
4: <laughs> I love that. Right. Like like,
6: Wiley like, well, coyote and he's roadrunner.
5: Yeah.
4: So they're so Steve doll's literally in a burning down uh riot <laughs> and Howard here's a firecracker. They're throwing dynamite. Sam, doesn't this
0: just remind you of a video I just showed you, the Greece uh, qualifying yeah, for the World, my, for the World Cup? Yeah,
6: that was so great. Gilmore <laughs> showed me Greece winning the World
0: Cup. Not winning the World I Cup, qualifying and, for the World Cup.
6: Like, yeah, and, they, and then, they basically like just started lighting everything on fire. It's yeah. so automatic and hilarious. I was like, holy shit.
0: I'll just show you right here really quickly, uh, Ben. Band- this is uh, uh, so – I'll just turn down the volume and uh, and okay, just show yeah, you the video.
6: so hard. This is One so second. funny. One
0: second. Okay. So basically, yeah, they scored. So this is when flares were allowed in the stadium. There's 70,000 hmm. people in
4: there. Oh, wow. So that's and a so- minute. the second amount of people that Steve told
6: Here we go. Oh, my God
5: wow <laughs> wow
0: my cousin was at this game actually he'll never forget does
4: it, it just look does it look more dangerous than it actually is i mean are these because it looks like actual fires but maybe it's just a lot of it's flares. It just flares it's the
0: same it's just yeah. you know with okay. the with the, the light going into that fire it makes it the smoke makes oh it oh my god It looks like
4: the summer of 2020 here yeah
6: i know (laughs) i think i made that comparison (laughs) yeah
4: mostly peaceful
0: and then at one point you see the russian goalkeeper you see the russian goalkeeper looking like an outtake from like summer of sam or something and he's standing around because they the game had to stop for about 10 minutes um just one sec here. It's coming up right here. I think there it is.
5: <laughs>
0: Wow, that's a nice shot. Yeah.
1: <laughs> anyway,
0: I just uh, Blue mm. Grant. Yeah. So there's like a retrospective ESPN did on Disco Disco Demolition. We're gonna play a little of that clip, guys. In the later game
1: They're going, Rusty, Disco, you know, saw something real loud And we're going to kill Disco today Disco is That dead, looks like Howard and, that. and I'm going, No, I was just in Disco Tech last night How are you going to achieve that,
5: right?
3: The Tigers won game 1-4-1 then it was time for Steve Dahl, the disc jockey, to blow up some records. He took to the field in a jeep at the command of the ragged army. His troops greeted him as a
2: oh, conquering
3: yeah. hero as he seized the microphone.
2: All these clowns who paid 98 cents to get in the ballpark, we're going to have their their moment of glory. And I thought it would happen, very rapidly One,
5: two, three, boom. <laughs>
2: I mean there was a flash and a stream of broken albums like everybody just was stunned. <laughs> disappear. You <I> mean, those-
6: <laughs> know what this reminds me of is the poor planning that went into Woodstock ninety-nine. Like oh, yeah. you did it you didn't think about what would happen yeah. next, and you just kept going yeah. and you th- and you're surprised. I mean yeah. this- <laughs> it's just like, what did you think was going to happen?
0: Well, it's like um, I, I'm trying to think of you talk about 1979. I think the Warriors, the, the Walter Hill film, the Warriors came out in 79 and they stopped showing it in theaters because they were afraid people were going to start riots because gang gangs in New York City at that time, specifically in New York, they thought, Oh my God, it's going to incite, um, some kind of violence. Mm -hmm. The same with new Jack city, about 10, 11 years later, new Jack city was pulled out of theaters because they thought it would spark gang, gang warfare within the theaters. And, um, so, and sometimes those headlines are worth more, than the actual box office or you know, whatever, like whatever the event actually is. So Steve Dahl, the mileage he got out of this was tremendous.
6: Oh plus yeah, he um, simply talks about disco and how much he hates it because yeah. I think he really does. And you can yeah. he's very good at describing. I mean when he started going into this a little bit and we were listening to some of it, it's really it's great vernacular. Like he's wonderful at describing this. When Howard has When Howard tries to copy this in the form of like funerals or it's so ad hoc garbage, ad hominem attacks that aren't really deep. They're not really fleshed out well. It's like so poor in comparison.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So So, I I have this uh, this news article that really just uh, says basically what happened to him, his career since July 12th. Doll 24, has been the hottest DJ in the United States. That's because he was the driving force behind, behind the disco demolition that briefly transformed Comiskey Park from a normal baseball stadium into the site of a screaming mob scene that cost the White Sox a ball game and made rock and roll a dirty word with some people. If you yep. scratch beneath the outrageous surface of the event, however, you soon realize that something truly amazing happened that night. A radio personality blew his whistle and about 70,000 people hummed the tune. Something that astonishing and scary hasn't occurred since the early days of rock and roll, when disc jockeys such as Dick Biondi in Chicago, Alan Moondog Freed in New York, George Hound Dog, Lawrence in Buffalo, and Tom Clay in Detroit could snap their fingers and get thousands of kids to show up at a downtown location for some zany function. That was 20 to 25 years ago, when certain disc He's totally captured the imagination of the young fans. By contrast, throughout most of the 1960s and 70s, the rock oriented riots, melees and pitched battles were associated with rock stars like the Beatles, Rolling Stones, Janis Joplin and others. But on Thursday, July 12th, 1979 at Comiskey park, the sole attraction was Steve Dahl and his ceremonial blow up of disco records. About 55,000 young people filled the park, to capacity plus and another 15,000 milled around outside after being turned away. It's really something Sox announcer Harry Carey said when we had teen night the last few years, we were lucky if we attracted a few thousand extra fans, but this kid doll draw, draws a full house and more outside. You've got to respect that kind of drawing power, even if you don't like what happened on the field. That's uh,
6: amazing. We had,
4: Yeah, so here's uh, something from Steve responding to this. We had 1,500 kids inside the place Uh, He's talking about earlier that year. We had 1,500 kids inside the place and another couple thousand outside, and I got worried about people getting hurt. In fact, two kids jumped on the stage during my act, and one of them had a knife. I guess that's when I realized the strength of of this uh, feeling against disco. So I stepped up my campaign. I started poking fun at the disco van. They they drive it to parking lots, and then two people get on top of a truck and dance their little booties off. I told my listeners that they ought to follow a disco van and rain marshmallows on the dancers, which they did. Mm-hmm. They gave away t- t- tickets to village people so that their fans could go and mess with village people fans. Um, about three weeks ago, Dahl took over a suburban disco for an anti-disco rally that produced another near-riot. More than 4,000 people showed up. Unfortunately, the club could only fit about 1,000, so 3,000 people were forced to stand outside. So you can just see that this was... The audience, this was the uh, reaction that Steve Dahl was having in Chicago while Howard and Fred are doing recreations of bits they saw on Saturday Night Live.
6: Yeah, I, I was also going to say this reminds me a lot of the pests. You know, Opie and Anthony would send the pests to certain functions that they, like, whether mm. it be a play. And I remember they, yep. they they had them screaming stuff in the middle of it. And mm-hmm. then they would play it for the show. So they would have their pests infiltrate functions that they thought were lame or stupid right. or upper echelon. and could n- And they just wanted to mock the shit out of these people who took themselves so seriously. It wasn't necessarily yeah. a music, but it was the same sort of idea. And they really, you know, captured the same amount of, I guess, hatred towards certain things and really... Yeah. They swayed their audience and those pests listen. I mean, they had soldiers.
5: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, think of the Beatles when John Lennon makes that uh, we're bigger than Jesus comment, and disc jockeys were convincing people to break, destroy their records, have like Beatle album burnings. You know, at the, yeah. the United States at the time, and they never really like recovered. They I mean, they did recover, obviously, but uh, because they he explained himself after the fact. But the damage was done in terms of what they thought of fucking touring and stuff, because that was the beginning, the, the beginning of the end of them touring anywhere. Uh, but at any rate,
7: if you've got a guy who's hurting you in some way, it's standard operating procedure in radio to hire him away from the competition or find him a job out of town. Bob Bittens, then WHCN's overnight disc jockey and later the station's program director, said. WHCN's own morning man, Michael Picosi, was doubling as the station's program director. As a result, WHCN chose not to hire Howard for its own morning show, but to steer him out of the market so he would no longer pose a threat. As the overnight jock at HCN, it was my job to start recording Howard's show after finishing my own shift, Bitten explained. The tapes and assorted newspaper clippings about Howard were given to Burkhardt, Abrams & Associates, a leading radio consulting firm. As Howard tells the story, he desperately wanted to flee WCCC and made the jump to WWWFM in Detroit after applying for an advertised opening and impressing the general manager. Ample evidence, however, indicates that Howard's exit came about because he was a pawn in a tactical plan. The tape supplied to Burkhart Abrams was given to a member of the firm, Dwight Douglas, who was consulting WWW at the time.
6: Even though uh, Gould's doing a great job reading, it said he missed a little bit in the sentence. It said ample evidence, however, indicates that Howard's exit came about because he was a pawn and a tactical plan carried out by several people. So this, that's, whole, that's it,
0: in the, that's in the audio. You didn't hear that. No. He just cut
4: out, he cut out the several people part,
6: the several people part. Oh
4: yeah. Okay. Out. Yeah. The oh.
6: several people, which to me is necessary to say, because there's a whole strategy of chess going on behind the scenes in radio that has nothing to do with the will or want of these DJs. There is yep. a much broader deep state, if you will, of, radio industry heads and um people functioning to fuck over other radio stations mm-hmm.
0: like yeah or to save a, their there, own there's
6: an entire mechanism behind the moves so it's not even really like howard's in control of this right. obviously so that yeah, several yeah. people thing i think is important because it shows just how much it's not really his choice or anybody's choice It's what these people choose to do with you and move you on the board.
4: Right. And then once you're moved on the board without much notice, that format can change and you're out, you know, Um, because the advertising dollar ultimately is what keeps everybody employed. And they're going to chase whatever format works.
6: And again, that just shows you even more so how lucky Howard and Robin were, because this is truly Just a game of luck on how you placed during a certain time period and what they choose to do with you and move you and yeah. how they move you and where they move you. It's well, like you.
0: Well, like, for example, he wanted to be desperately in chi- like win in Chicago and he never could. He never broke Chicago. Yeah.
5: right. And
0: right. they were not going to and loads, I'm sure, along along the, uh, you know, the, the entire Midwest. I'm sure they hated his fucking guts. Um, so if he had floundered somewhere, he would have ended up being like just kind of flittering out of the business eventually, just earning maybe a nice retirement, whatever. He probably would have been comfortable because that seems like there were plenty of jobs for dipshits in radio at the time. Um, well, yeah, but they, he go, would never have become... Further.
4: Yeah. If if it had worked out and the original plan of WWW had worked, which was simulcast Steve Dahl's radio show from Chicago to here, that yeah. was... they were There's an interview I read today that they said they were in talks to do that. It didn't work out, so Howard got the job. And we all know that... Well, I think we all know Howard is taking the job that was once held by Steve Dahl. So he's literally had that position at that job at that station. And the, the guy who hired Howard has no history at the station. The station, um, has all kinds of, uh, format changes. Um, and I think he even had a name change at some point, but there isn't, it's, it's tumultuous. So it was, it did have high ratings, uh, briefly, but that's because Steve Dahl gave them high ratings and then he left. And, uh, the ratings started to fall rapidly uh, once, just before, I guess, Howard got there, and and then they continued to fall once he got there. And it was just too expensive. There were five, I know we'll get to this as we go, but there were like five rock and roll stations all competing for the same audience. And then it makes sense ultimately, well, we can't continue with this format. Yeah.
6: Right. And I will say this too. If you listen to this, this loyalty of Steve doll's listeners yeah of course he's going to be hated in the midwest i mean this is like insane amount of loyalty obviously and so i can't believe that for so many years and this is why this podcast is important in this sense there's not anybody to really document what truly happened with steve doll and howard and the ripping off and just his own mythology regarding his rise to fame oh yeah so important. I mean, this is
4: this is this is a 23-year-old, 24-year-old we're talking about. I know. Who's, you know, who's inspiring all. This. So, um, but but uh, just to to share some further, at this point, um, influences. So he's he does one of his characters is named Tyrone. It's his black guy. Howard yes. stole him and made it Mama Luca Boo Boo Day. Yes. And uh, one of the uh, bits Steve or one of the segments that uh, is referenced in one of the articles I read this person said that they loved this when they heard it, Steve was talking about how cheap the station was that they didn't have their own traffic copter. So as, they, as the guy read the, the uh, traffic, or as he read the road conditions, Steve like, did the uh, thumping against his chest to make it sound like the guy was uh, in a helicopter. So which Howard just took and said, oh, I'm Mama Luka Boo Boo Day, meaning I'm Tyrone, in the traffic copter, meaning I'm playing off the fact that we don't have a traffic copter, just like Steve invented But so when Steve uh, ended up having to do a a contract negotiation that fell apart at WLUP, one of the reasons why it fell apart was because his contract said, uh, I don't want to answer to management. Um, I don't want to have to attend any staff meetings. I don't want to be expected to promote any other DJs. So this is like all Howard's playbook. Like basically they just said, what did Steve ask for? That's what I want. Yeah,
0: uh, you. Funny, you mentioned the the helicopter, the Tyrone, the helicopter reporter, um, because Kurt Chaplin, in an interview, uh, who worked with Jimmy Buff, and they did free FM in New York. Um, he talked about doing the exact same thing, the beating his chest, whatever he said. I we needed to make like he he worked with Imus. He said, and he worked with Howard early on, when Howard was, ah, uh, where was he? It wasn't WA It might well it had to be at WNBC. So he did. Hmm. He did know. He said, "I knew Howard's playbook. Like I knew exactly how to get ratings against him." Because, but I mean, if you studied Howard, then you would have known who Howard studied. You know, yeah. it was it was mm-hmm. a fascinating yes. interview, especially that if you was,
4: studied radio. That was the yeah. infamous
0: interview at the no, It was interview. It was press conference at the plaza. He was promoing the E Interview Show at the time. Howard and. There's, there, I have video. It's on the Jimmy Buff uh, when he confronts him in the studio because he works for Dave Herman, I think. And then Howard brings him in the studio and hyperventilates, which we know is bullshit. But the anger before that, I believe, was real. Uh, a couple of people were talking about it recently, and I, I don't know anybody that wants to do go through the video, but I'd love to because I think Howard was upset and really was pissed off. But the whole... Except for the part where he has to go out and, you know, get his composure, that's all bullshit. but, um, mm-hmm. but the idea that this guy they went up against Howard in his own market and were actually doing well. He said they got eventually to the advertising dollars where they could sell space for two hundred and fifty a, a minute, whatever. And the billing, like the this Howard's yeah. turn type billing, but he said they just didn't have enough capital to continue the like if they had a little more money and a little more time, they would have eventually, you know, taken away some, some ratings points. Cause he said it was drastic anyway.
5: The, um,
0: the
6: saddest part too, is this loyalty that Steve Dahl's fans had. They must've known that this was being ripped off, like how oh yeah. he was ripping him off. And I'm sure uh, well, you know, it's, it came yeah, through, it's, but it's so weird how it just is like muted from history. Like we just don't, like I said to Fillmore and Ben before this, I said, you know, history is written by the winners of like yeah. wars, the winners, well, the conquerors. It's not yes, you know. It's a very fragmented, like it's not real. A lot of it. It's written by the winners, so you're not getting. You're getting a skewed view.
0: Well, it's it's maybe yeah, it's I, too maybe it's too egotistical to think about. But maybe when Howard's dead or retired, there's going to be a revisiting of his career, and there's going to need a. They're going to have a documentary, and they're going to need this show. They're going to need this particular saga to get their information because a lot of it is fragmented. You gotta, you. got I found stuff on Google Groups, which is 23, 24 years old now at this point, where people were discussing this, and radio forums where they're saying, oh, that guy that ripped off Steve Dahl. Yeah, you, it only sure. exists in print so far, yeah. more or less. Yeah. However, I've, I'm going to get in touch with Steve Dahl, and I'm going to ask him for permission to A, either do an interview, or B, supply us with any of the audio he might have from those days so we can play them at another episode of this, just to have it for posterity because I'd love it to be out there.
4: It yeah. should be. Well, you know, I, I listened to Steve before I ever even heard of Howard Stern because I yep. lived in Illinois and, um, you know, listened to Steve and Gary. And so uh, starting in, I don't know, the mid 80s or something, because I bounced around p- before starting to listen to Steve Dahl. Um, and I, w- I was a huge fan. He was not on in the mornings at that point. He was on in the afternoons, uh, late like afternoon drive. Yeah, but uh, he would do concerts with his band, and uh, you know, they would WLUP would do these concerts where some of the personalities would show up. I was too young to go to them, um, I never went to any of them. But anyway, the guy, up until I left, anyway, had a huge yep. fan base, and um, I've seen forums from Detroit. I saw a forum years ago that I found where they were talking about when they were young and Howard was on the radio, and that they couldn't believe like when they saw what he looked like like what what a joke he was because he he was like wearing like a fair isle sweater and not what it was not this is not a rocker you know they could tell right away this and you know that's one thing that i i've said before about howard that you know he always talks about how like little kids don't like him they're afraid of him when they see him and yeah. I, and i my my comment on that has been they Look at you and they look at their parents and they go, Why are you accepting this as real? This guy isn't real. You know, they're looking at, they go, This is not a real, that's not a real hair. That's not a real voice. That's not a real anything. Why are we all pretending it's real? And uh, it's startling to them. I would say that like teenagers are very good at zeroing in on uh, fakers and, you know, in their scene anyway. So uh, when a guy like Howard comes in and says you know we'll get to some of his quotes but you obviously this is not a rock and roller he's obviously not the guy he's pretending to be these guys who are truly into this stuff steve's all fans and so on would immediately sniff him out and go this guy is fake yeah and so i think that howard so i was was gonna say I, i think that howard for not only that had the had the deal not worked out and uh steve's steve wasn't syndicated to that station he ends up being syndicated to a competitor but had it not been that the that the staffing was sort of new like the uh i think it was the general manager was new or else the guy placing howard dick what's his name hungate, hungate yeah mm-hmm. yeah hadn't had been a little more regional they would have known you can't take a steve Dahl ripoff artist and put him in steve Dahl's spot <laughs> Right, and expect Steve Dahl's fans to go, "Oh yeah, you do uh, dial a date just like Steve Dahl's dial a date." Okay, mm-hmm. we'll just take it. That's fine with us. So, what what it all relies on is the fact that when you flee town for the most part in radio, no one's going to know. You know, two thousand miles away, the the guy you're copying, uh, they're never going to hear that guy, and the guy who right. is being copied, he's never going to hear your station two thousand miles away. So that was how he was able to get away with it.
0: There's a later theft. There's a later bullshit claim because one day we'll do like the, the show uh, debunking all of the, oh, I invented everything, Robin, you know, and because he said it so many times that MTV Unplugged was the one that my that was my favorite one. You know, I invented acoustic guitar playing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so the uh, jaywalking homeless game, the whole IJ ripped it off. His writers ripped it off from us. I looked I looked back. I did the work. As far back as 90, the earliest homeless game, I believe, is late 97, like December, Mm. perhaps. But there's a Vanity Fair article with Jay Leno where in in 2000, in in 1996, where they discussed jaywalking. Mm. So, Mm. so, you know, you can't like the the problem. Again, the 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 evidence is there for you guys. You just got to dig
4: it out. Well, and and Jay even defended himself in saying you didn't invent man on the street. I mean, no. it wasn't it wasn't Howard walking. Howard didn't get off his butt and leave the studio and go interview no. people.
6: No, it, it, it's like, you know, even news reporters that I mean, what do yeah. you think live coverages of like, what did right. you think of this? I mean, he, people that has been going on since the beginning of TV. That's, that's
4: what they're satirizing. That's what they're satirizing. They're taking non-events and saying, what are your thoughts on these non-events? Right. He stole he stole butt bongo from Mark and Brian. <laughs> Like, that was an
0: Entertainment Weekly. I mean, and he made Butt yeah. Bongo Fiesta, not just stealing it, well,
4: but just packaging it and selling it. Yeah, and I've said this before, but I'll say it again because it's really worth remembering. The reason why Howard got away with all of this is because his hometown, his region is the media capital of the world, New York yeah. City. And so – when when New York turns on the radio, they're hearing their local re- radio DJ, Howard, not realizing that their local re- radio DJ is listening to tapes of the Chicago guy and of yep. the L.A. guys and of the D.C. guys or whatever. And he's only listening to them because people told him, you need to listen to these because he's not he's not uh, savvy enough. You no. know, he would just go like. And he didn't even know maybe that he was copying a morning zoo. But uh, he was doing that as well. You know, that started in D.C. And uh, in any case, the media being what they are, which is they don't they're not going to be a guy writing about their local DJ, Howard Stern, is not going to go and do research and find tapes somehow to go to make sure you're not copying some other guy. It's not like he you know, I saw an, an article written Steve Dahl, by the way, goes on that year to put out a gold album selling parody of disco called Do You Think I'm Disco. Yeah. Uh like 2 years before Howard puts out his parody album which uh, nothing. goes nowhere. Just sucks. Yeah. And um Kurt Loder of all people writes writes about because Kurt Loder was a Rolling Stone writer at the time not mm-hmm. yet an MTV uh anchor writes about Steve Dahl's second his follow up which is about the Ayatollah. But um anyway, Steve is like riding Waves, you know, that and you can kind of point to his disco thing and go, he had an axe to grind. Disco ended his lucrative, you know, the the wave he was on, threw him off of it, and he's getting his revenge against it. And uh, and it's cool. You know, that's an actual revenge story. Go ahead. But the, not just this, also the
0: song parodies that Dahl did. Howard, yes, they, like they could not New get a New York song parodies. To- yeah, all those yeah. things. And so – and there's nothing, guys. The reason why we're we're kind of harping on the whole stealing the theft thing is because let's see, let's face it. Ask Carlos Mencia how he feels about uh, his career after it was out that he yeah. stole material. Uh, Amy yeah. Schumer, who should have been canceled from what yeah. she did on yeah. her show, but still somehow survived it. Don't ask me how. Um, there are people that have lost their entire career on the basis of. Being called thieves. And, uh, you know, if it's, it's Robin Williams was powerful enough to, he's, a, there's a, there's, if you want a real comparison, a guy who stole material off fellow comics, paid them off, at least. Yeah. Howard never did that. He paid them off when confronted about it and then occasionally addressed it. But for the most part, they all agreed, yeah, he did it. He stole from Richard Pryor. He stole from, you know, anybody. He stole from uh, all the comedy store uh, veterans at the time. And, um, Got away with it, like he he yeah. literally went on to become a movie star. So it is important in every sense of the word, every sense of the uh, the uh, yeah, yeah I, um,
4: And also, we're talking about a guy who accuses everyone of that, of th- stealing from him. So that's exactly then, it. Then aren't you shouldn't you be well protected against these accusations of theft yourself? But it, it's also just interesting that had the domino fallen differently a couple of different times, mm-hmm. you would. You and I, we would never have heard the name Howard Stern, and that is never if they had syndicated uh, to www instead of the the rival, then they would never have brought Howard to DC. So he mm-hmm. might never have left Hartford. He might have gone to Ohio. He might have, but he would have probably been doing Long Island Tradio at this point without. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but 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 it, then the second time, if Mel Carmizen had gotten his wish then Steve Dahl would have been his morning man and not Howard Stern, but they couldn't yeah. make it work. And so he brought in Howard Stern. So there were a couple of times where had the, had the, had things not, uh, fallen in Howard's favor, the way they did, we would be talking about Steve and not Howard. And if he had remained in afternoon drive in,
0: in, uh, when they were in Washington, when the, I was Washington, I think it was, was it Washington? I think they were afternoon
4: drive. He was, uh, Washington, he, and he was afternoon in, uh, at WNBC. Oh, WNBC. And, and Robin he wanted to stay in W. He wanted to stay in afternoons Yeah, uh, and not compete against Imus because he was afraid. Yes. And Robbins compl- claims she's the
0: one that convinced him you got to go up against him, which I. Uh, yeah, know, that's maybe. Who knows? Yeah.
4: That's so, Sam, you There's were going to say. no way say Mel please. was going to pay him that kind of money right. and let him stay parked in afternoons. No
6: way. I think Ben was right when he said. He happened to land in the media capital of the United States, which is so you can look at this the same way, like anything with, you know, it's the coastal elites who kind of dictate whatever bad idea or anything like it's the the flyover states get shut out. But eventually what happens is there's populist uprising of like, no, we are going to call this out. No, this is theft no we see you're a fraud and eventually the pendulum sort of swings back now there will always be this advantage of being the coastal elites who do this shit but I think over time like especially since the dawn of the internet that's not gonna fly so much anymore
7: yeah Mm -hmm. Hungate decided that WWW needed something totally different in the morning something outlandish yet topical something not previously heard in the motor city reviewing the tape he became convinced that the morning man from hartford would be perfect
0: okay there's that clip and then we're going to go into detroit job details I got a call
1: I, I saw in some magazine that in detroit a burkhard english station looking for a morning guy so i called dwight i go why can't i work in detroit number eight market because you don't want to work there horrible station there, there's four rock stations in town.
6: another thing in order, I just thought of this, in order to keep this narrative going to erase Steve Dahl and the actual impact he had on radio and how loyal his followers, followers were and as Benjamin said was about to blow up and we wouldn't even know Howard Stern, you have to have a cabal of people around you that are going to repeat the lie, that are going mm-hmm. to constantly say the things that you declare about yourself about your own mythology, and about how you came to be. And because he has now friends, just like how he held on to that um, nozzle guy, he Mm -hmm. has carefully, throughout his career, placed people in high places that will repeat the lie, that will repeat the propaganda. Oh, yeah. And so this is how he has gotten away with this for so long to the point that you can erase the memory of a guy that almost had an entire stadium burned down in disco records <laughs> right. yeah. that's right. how that's how absurdly insane the influence of propaganda is surrounding howard's mythology
4: yeah yeah well the, you know the 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 uh the journalists he spoke to didn't treat him like he was lying to them. So right. it, just to uh, wrap this, the, the Steve doll thing up really quick. Um, wait, I don't, I forget if it was to time magazine or daily, uh, news or what, but Howard was talking about, I know we're jumping ahead, but why he had to leave Detroit. He said he had to leave Detroit because there was a DJ in Chicago who went on the air and, uh, told everybody I was stealing his act when really he was stealing my act. So I had to leave. Yep. Wait, and and no journalists push back on that and go, wait a minute, you left an entire city that wasn't even the same city as the other guy because he told people you were stealing his act. So you left. Well,
6: because, of course, because there is is if anybody can't figure out, we have a media that is completely the most uncurious media I've ever seen in my life. And it right. starts, so if you pick a journalist that, you know, is not you know, the least bit curious and doesn't do their homework. You can get away with just, you know, print the talking points, you know, trans, transcribe my talking points. And that becomes the fact versus actually digging into the issue. And so I think like Howard really got, you know, that's why even if, even if this might not make a huge impact in life, chipping at any sort of armor of this bullshit is so important.
0: Well, yeah, we, I, ultimately, I want us to be the, the encyclopedia Wigtannica type of thing. So the ultimate uh, anyway, I'm going to read the end of this one uh, this one thing here. It was based on the clip that I wanted to get from Bruce uh, from Steve Dahl. He said it, this is from uh, May 24th, 2012 edition of his podcast. And he talked about it. Uh, his rivalry with Stern uh, after calling into the Bijou for old time's sake. He said someone sent me an email, I think it was an email or a tweet. I I don't know, some form of communication. About last week's descent into the archives. And I guess it featured me talking about some DJ in Detroit who was ripping me off or whatever, because he came to Detroit after I left. It turns out that it was Howard Stern. I don't really care. That's not a theme I was going for, even though he's a multi billionaire and I just have like a little condo in New Buffalo and he has a $20 million house in the Hamptons. I'm not on America's Got Talent trying to act like I'm cool. Not that I wouldn't take that gig right now either, but. I haven't really set myself up to the kind of guy to be the kind of guy who doesn't take that gig. He kind of did. That should be beneath him. There's nothing beneath me. I'm in my basement.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but I you know, him. that's, that's right. That should be beneath that. You should not be it's going on guy. there and, 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 uh, applauding at dancing dog for, for dancing dogs. Right. <laughs> I know. You, know you should be the guy who goes, who is making fun of that guy. That's you know, right. that, if if that had been Imus on that show, we would have been ridiculing him every single week. Can you believe this guy? He thinks he's cool. He's on there. He's He's dressing in his cowboy boots, and he's he's you know throwing away his whole legacy. That's what Howard would be saying. But it, Steve's right. But you know Steve says that as a guy who doesn't really listen to Howard and doesn't realize that he's not the renegade that you might have be, that you might have let yourself think he must be based yeah. on the profiles you've seen he's actually completely the AGT guy he watched every episode
0: yeah. yeah. Um, and the, okay, I'm going to read a little bit that isn't in the audio. Um, this is what Hungate dis- dis said about Howard. He sounded on the radio as how Hungate had imagined. He spoke off the air whiny, but natural. Um, and then later on, basically they they, they, they were going to get us the clip where they offer him the 28th grand a year to go to Detroit. So one
1: sec. On their number four, nobody listens. that's my kind of station. I sent a tape to the program director anyway, not regarding what White had said. And, Lo and behold, that night, I get a call from Wally Clark, the general manager, and Dick Hungate, the program director. I want to fly into Hartford and talk to them. I flew in. I didn't even tell my wife that I was going to go meet with these guys. That's lovely. <laughs>
0: I'm not going to tell my wife about the thing that what, affects her completely. Why should she know?
4: Yes. Uh, you know she, we've lived here 11 months. That's good enough. We can move now. Why should she find out?
6: It's almost just as bad as when he got the apartment for private parts. And that's how she found. I mean, he (laughs) bought an apartment in the city Mm -hmm. with no no care in the world to even let her know. And then this this like I'm just, you know, I'm not going to you have a family. You have children.
0: Not only that, but they built him an apartment at uh, Silver Cup for, for so that he could he didn't have to, you know, he could do looping or whatever.
6: And I think of the
4: Allison Angle a lot in this. So, uh, you know, she she's got the master's degree from NYU from Columbia. Was it NYU yep. or Columbia? One of the two. I, I, in, yeah. in psychology, she's a social worker. She's working at the Jewish something social worker thing in uh, in Connecticut. Yep. And then her husband says, "Oh, uh, I got another job. We're leaving." So she's got to go along with it, you know. In the movie, it's I can't believe your underwear was wet. You were cheating on me with a porn star in the bathtub, right. and you know, of course, none of that actually happened. Yeah. Um. So I have to go. So Mopey Howard has to go off to Detroit by himself while he learns to. Uh, he realizes Allison's the most important thing in my life. What did I do? I blew. <laughs> right. That's all fake. Allison gave a one-month notice to her job, which is why she yeah. had to stay behind. But yep. so anyway, they go to Detroit. And he pulls the exact same thing on her. A yes. year goes by, t- 10 months goes by and uh, we got to go. I have another job uh, in DC. So it's always, you always hear about, uh, oh, it's so hard for Mopey, for a DJ like Howard. What a hard life he had. What about Allison, Who's constantly having to start over. She's got this degree that looks, her resume looks terrible because it's like, here's a few months of work and then you're gone. A few months of work and then you're gone. She's trying to make friends. She's trying to start a family. And it's just like, nope,
6: we're leaving. And, and then to top it off, he berates her about everything. Yeah. Like he treats her like, I don't know, a second class citizen. That's not a te- you opened the garage door when I was sleeping. You didn't. You <laughs> want me to get you jingle ball tickets, bitch? Like, yeah, this she, uh, right?
4: well, that's to come. Shit. That's
6: yeah, but that. The, but that's the level of like self-importance. He has not realizing you uprooted this woman twice.
4: Yeah, she has from, yeah. from, from yeah. a
6: professional career that has patients well, that multiple depend times. On her.
4: She
0: has she has the stability of a hockey enforcer, you know, like like she's good or you know like an army brat that has to go from, you know, uh from Frankfurt to and Okinawa it, or whatever the fuck.
6: And it's not like a job where you can you know you can work at any restaurant, you can work at any hair salon. No, these are patients with psychological problems. Yeah,
5: exactly. She's
0: Absolutely. Right, fucking,
6: right. Psychiatrist or whatever, you know, right. therapist, I don't know. Right. Social worker, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah presu- no, presume there's, <laughs>
6: yeah, do you know, gay dance with the goo goo dolls? Absolutely, that, that takes <laughs>
1: preference. Yeah, with yeah. them. Wally did that thing where you write down a salary and he slipped it to me on a piece of paper, slid it toward me. I open it up, twenty eight thousand dollars. I'm like, holy shit, twenty eight grand. I'm gonna be in Detroit. They tell me about a whole new facility they're building in the Renaissance Center, which is beautiful. They describe Detroit to me. I don't even know where Detroit is. I didn't even know that. Like Canada is an I,
5: eight.
6: You know, he, of course, of course, he didn't know where Detroit was.
4: Right. Of course. Right. And you, he definitely didn't know that he was stepping into Steve Jobs' old place because he would have been too afraid to have done that. And they're going you know, to I can't take that, the yeah. guy's act who I've stolen and go there. But. Um, oh, shit. I, oh, yeah. God, I was I wish say, you, I if wish you are jacked and mugged, if you listen to this guy, you know, to the penny what his salary was in radio until he surpasses twenty eight grand a year. Then he yep. refuses to talk money. Isn't that right. crazy? Like yeah. I was making ninety six dollars a week. Oh, I was making this much. I was making twenty eight thousand dollars a year. And then. Oh, it's not appropriate to talk about salary anymore. Yeah, certainly. S- want to just leave it at 28 grand a year? All right. Just, I don't want, because I don't like
0: my kids to know as I, you know, leave our 13 room mansion that when they ask yeah. me for a five, I can afford it. Or specifically, I don't want blue
4: collar people to rip me off. Yeah.
6: Right. And I want to also complain about long distance phone calls. When I'm a millionaire, like yeah, I, like my kids, like my kids are draining every penny out of the system. Are
4: you, or bunny toys? It, like turn out the lights. light about last week. And then
6: it's also funny too how he always says, "You know, my parents paid for college or my parents got me a car." Do you think that resonates with blue collar people whatsoever? Right. But he he'll say that dutifully, but he won't say how much he makes past this certain point we know 28, grand a year. we know your privilege when you say your parents paid for college and a car and you're dumb and they helped you get a job i mean yep. yeah that's privilege we get it we're we're yep. not fooled
1: yeah I didn't know any of it. I came home and I said to my uh, now ex-wife, I said, I got a job offer in Detroit, 28 grand. She goes, you didn't even tell me you were meeting. It didn't occur to me that it would even come to fruition. I don't know. I was just, my head was up my ass. Called no, well,
0: your head, your, your, well, your head was up your own ass because you're the only one that matters in your world. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And,
6: you know, she's a peripheral beard. So this whole life, like this fallacy life he's living, the only other.
0: Yeah. The Why only, he's
6: not thinking about it. It's all the,
0: an act. The only blessing they had was they had no kids at this time. Cause as screwed up as the kids would have been like, like, you know, Emily for sure ended up a little, uh, kooky. Um, imagine them moving from school to school to school constantly. Cause you're moving cities and you don't like that. That screws up kids like no one's business.
4: Yeah. You know, yeah. He didn't I, have kids yet, but just imagine too, that put yourself in this, you're in this position. for a second. Your husband or wife comes home and says, by the way, I, I had a job interview and I accepted <laughs> I, it. You go, why wouldn't you tell me you had a job interview? We're married. What's what, right. why couldn't you tell me you had a job interview?
6: And, and, and not only that, it's you're moving to a different state. That's like saying you signed up for the draft. Like you're going to the Marines. Right. Sorry, yeah. I'm gonna be on. I'm gonna be in Afghanistan.
4: Oh, I mean, and like, by
0: the what, way, where's you know, Detroit? Like, it's right it's right next to allison do you know where it is
6: i do find it interesting that the kids though like you said emily think god she wasn't around then and she's a little kooky but i don't know if she's exactly kooky as if she lives her life as a total rejection of everything that she had to deal with so she is a really orthodox jew you know rabbi and it's it's kind of Fascinating to watch because it's a complete rejection right. of all of the not traditional wild behavior of her father and the antics that she probably had to put up with and witness.
0: No, well, what I mean but by kooky, like, uh... I'm not I don't I'm not I'm not trying to denigrate her adherence to, you know, religion and become a, a really uh, strict uh, uh, released now she's a rabbi, actually, as far yeah. as I know, she's got so I'm not talking about that. I'm. it's more along the lines of she didn't know what she was going to do before she came a rabbi. So she released, you know, she did the Kabbalah yeah. play, and she you know was a trust fund kid living downtown. And right. then all of a sudden, you know, she's releasing music on guitar. and then all of a sudden, oh, I've got an album out, and oh i'm I'm taking My up vagina. photography. And that photography exhibit that went the way of the the dinosaur as soon as you know that article came out for that, from the uh, from the mm-hmm. post, and so um, you know like it that's and and then that article explains fully like if she said I don't had didn't have any direction if you didn't have any direction is because you had you know a nanny instead of a mother and you had no father. You had nothing instead right. of a father. So, I mean, I'm sure Allison was there for them. She wasn't, you know, she wasn't Howard. But, but if you're missing that parent in your life, all of a sudden, you know, you have a dad, but you don't. That has to do a number oh, on any yeah. kid. Fuck. I mean, you're almost better off with divorced parents spending time with either of them in different whatever coastlines, you know, or or, you know, on the weekend with this one and during the week with that one. At least you see them. Should they never even got a chance to see this fucking? Oh yeah,
4: you know, towards towards the end, um, they Allison forced Howard. You're going to join the family for dinner on Sundays. Yeah, because we don't see you, and she said, and on one of the one of the last one of the recordings I heard. he sits there in silence and wolfs his food down and then leaves as soon as he's done eating. So he's being the petulant child, going, Fine, mom, I'll sit here. I don't have to like it. I don't have to talk. <clears throat> so do that's you know, his own kid. I mean, that's how, when forced and, to be a dad, that's how he would act.
6: And then do you, you know also, who is? Sorry, Sam, oh, go ahead. Sorry. You also see after that, that only eventually it becomes Ashley that comes around and he does things for and visits with and. Sees on a regular basis. But initially it was the three of them. And that dropped off really quick that the older kids refused to participate in whatever form of quasi parenting he was producing. Like if they had the choice, they didn't want to be around him.
0: Yeah. Do you know the, you know who's actually got an eerie parallel in terms of parenting with Howard? A fan. It was a friend of the show, Frank Zappa. He would, he would be living in the studio. Once he built a studio in the house, he would be recording, writing, performing, editing. When he went to dinner, he would eat as fast as he could, not talk, and get the fuck out of there. So the only time any of them could spend any time with him is when they went in the studio to record with him or whatever. So in a lot of ways, he was no better as Except a parent.
4: Except Howard wasn't working. He was downstairs watching MTV Grind and wherever right. else was on at the time.
5: With Ralph, um, um, just know, to avoid nails. You know,
4: <laughs> yeah, with his with his with his uh, basement door that would lock from a desk button, which is true. He really did have that in his yeah, office. Right. Um, <laughs> it took Ashley yeah, yeah. going through the doggy door to catch him. Right. A security <laughs> camera to let people know if he so he would be aware if someone was coming down the stairs. Right. Um, so it's a uh, yeah. So they're different in that way. I mean, yeah. You know, they're similarly assholes, perhaps, but different yeah. in what they were doing.
1: Yeah. I said, so do you think I could ask him for 30 grand? I mean, might as well even know. Him. He goes, go ahead. And, you know, called. I asked Wally for 30 Says, Done deal. Let's go. Okay.
0: So there's that one. And then we're going into Wiggy might have been pissing his pants having to follow Steve Dahl in Detroit. So this is part of the, uh, the book itself.
7: Hungate and the general manager, Wally Clark, flew to Hartford and at dinner offered Howard the morning show at a salary of $28,000 a year more than double what he was making at WCCC. If Howard had any doubts about taking the job, he hid them from his suitors. But he gave his colleague, Litch, the impression that he still had plenty of thinking to do. Perhaps he feared following in the path of Steve Dahl, who had left Detroit Radio for Chicago two years earlier and had become an audible influence. Howard was being wooed to the job at WWW that Dahl had once held.
0: Okay, and then the next clip is called Busted.
7: On the air, Dahl tweaked Chicago institutions and berated callers. Animal House pranks included dropping things out a station window to see what kind of reaction he would get from passersby below. (laughs) Dahl was among the popular radio personalities who presented an audio form of TV's The Dating Game, in which a bachelor or bachelorette questions interested callers, then selects one of them for a date.
0: Sorry for the audio quality, guys. It's a, it's from a cassette. I'm sorry.
7: Or it had had his own dial-a-date routine on WCCC, and was all too familiar with Doll Stick because he used to listen to tapes of Doll's show in Hartford.
0: There you go. On the oh. end- Sorry. So there's that, and then there's one last one, and it's uh it's uh, the, uh, a the just a point about the Doll Steve Doll comparison.
7: Respect for Dahl's style never disclosed by Howard or reported by the media would give way to unforeseen competition in Detroit between the two mourning men before long, and an even nastier rivalry would flare more than a decade later when Howard's show is being syndicated in Chicago.
0: So the, in between there is uh, some comments from Lick. Uh, Lick received the recordings from a friend in Chicago. Howard and I used to listen to the tapes while sitting in my car after playing racquetball, Lick stated. He didn't say much about them, but looking back, you can tell Dahl was the catalyst for what Howard later ended up doing. I know Howard would never admit that, but what he, he took what Steve Dahl was doing and took it to the next dimension. I don't think he took anything to the next dimension. It's more like dementia or just mm. deviancy when you think about it later on. Um, But uh, let's maybe uh, stop that right there, guys. That wraps this episode up, guys. We hope you've enjoyed it thus far. We hope you enjoy the rest of the ride as well. Uh, Many thanks to Sam and Ben for joining me on this one. It's always a lot of fun. And take care, guys. We will see you on the next one. Have Have a great week.
2: Gay rock star, friends with, Allison Oxyco. North Context, <laughs> My Child, Thru pills, Social Workers, CNN. Off
3: Context. Press
5: release, Beverly Hills, Lunchback like Dieter. I like you a lot. Black guy oh. at Wendy's. Going, <laughs> going.
3: come on, you're great. This is <laughs> great. Linda Perry, Road Songs, Patty and Samantha, Women Give, Jessica
5: Cincy, I'm happy.
2: A B C. okay. Yes.
5: Divine bass players. <laughs>